get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Great play, pulls it ahead. Saad drives the goal. It's the trailer, they score! Shen, his second of the game. And it's shorthanded up ice with Sundquist. Butchnevich to the net. Sundquist to Butchnevich. He scores! On a clean sheet of ice early in the period. Butchnevich, he scores! Power play goal! Stolen away by Thomas. Butchnevich, shorthanded breakaway. Shoots, he scores! If you've got another hat, chuck it at your radio. Kairou behind the net, holds, finds Thomas, far side, Shen, one-timer, he scores! Shot gets blocked in front by Blay, and that'll do it. Bring out the Zamboni. 8-2 victory over the Colorado Avalanche. What a night out in Colorado for the St. Louis Blues. Welcome everyone to a new week of BK and Ferrario still no BK as he is on his way back from vacation but we've got Bradford Bruns in studio for BK Tanner Hendrickson I'm Alex Ferrario a celebratory Monday after eight goals put up on the Colorado Avalanche and you know T-Bone I'm gonna I'm gonna puff up my chest a little bit here yeah I'm gonna do a little uh strut I'm gonna peacock a little bit for you guys if that's all right you're up to peacocking right Look it what? up. So they put eight goals up on Colorado. Is that PG-13? No, it might be might be X. Bradford, you probably should have hit the dump button there. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, they score eight goals against Colorado. The last time that a team scored eight goals on Colorado out in Denver was back in 2009. That was the year that they drafted Matt Duchesne first overall. Oh, they weren't good then. They weren't good then. The Blues... We're up 3-0 after the first period. The last time they did that out in Denver against that Avalanche team was back in 2016. They weren't good then either, T-Bone, if you want to look up that Colorado Avalanche team. What I'm saying with all of those, those chest puff facts for you is this Blues offense has finally found its feet. Going back to November 3rd when they played against the New Jersey Devils, the Blues have scored the most goals in the National Hockey League, right up there with the Toronto Maple Leafs. They've scored 22 goals in that time frame. And these aren't these aren't just pushover teams. It's not like they played the San Jose Sharks three times. They scored four against the New Jersey Devils, six against the Canadians, two against the Jets, that was the dud, two against the Coyotes, and then eight against the Colorado Avalanche. And I know people are probably like, yeah, but they did it against the Colorado Avalanche. Or I'm sorry, they scored eight goals against the Colorado Avalanche. That doesn't happen very often. Fine. But they've got 14 goals, and in that time frame, it's still top 10. This is an offense that we were talking about two weeks ago prior to that 4-1 loss to the Colorado Avalanche. No coincidence that that was that game out in Colorado also. And we were asking ourselves, is this offense just flat? Does this team not have the top six forwards that we thought they did? Does this team 
lack the ability to be an offensive team with Craig Berube because of the players. Well, since then, we're talking about Braden Shen, who's got goals in four of his last five games. Pavel Buchnevich, who's now got four goals in his last three. Tori Krug, who's picking up points. Robert Thomas, who looks like a number one center. This offense is finally going, and it's going against teams that I didn't expect them to. Yeah, and look, I was very skeptical of the offense. I've been the guy that's been preaching, relax, relax. I can see the snowball coming because there's not enough offensive production. And for the last five 30-plus shots on goal in, in that time frame, which is very impressive because early on I felt like they, I was watching a team that was going to average like 20 to 22 in that stretch. So the, the fact that the offense is starting to look better, it, it almost feels like, and I remember when we had, I think it was Scott Hartnell was on with us a couple weeks back, mm-hmm. and we asked him, you know, what's it like if you have to learn a new system? And he said, well, you know, take about 10 games. It takes a while to get the system figured out. And then you can adjust because you're focused so much on okay, we gotta hit, we gotta stay in our zone, we gotta block shots, get in the shooting lane, keep everything to the outside. But you kind of forget about the offense, kind of become second nature. Once you get more comfortable in this kind of new zone scheme that they're running, they start to get better at their exits out of the zone, and you're starting to see that. And I, I think now I'm starting to buy into the theory of okay, early on it was just they're learning a new scheme, they'll get this figured out offensively. I, I'm now starting to buy that because they look good offensively. And you're right. It hasn't just been against the scrubs of the NHL. They haven't right. played the Flames, the Sharks, all these bad teams, the Oilers. No, they're going up against some pretty good competition. And though Colorado is in a rut themselves right now, that's still a pretty good hockey team. And to do that on the road is very impressive. Yeah, the 10-game threshold you just talked that Scott Hartnell told you, game number nine was against the New Jersey Devils. And just to put it into context, this team, prior to that New Jersey Devils game, and, I, and I, I'm picking that one because Ken Hitchcock, who's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame later on tonight, always used to say you break it up into segments. Ten game segments is kind of what you break it up into. So that ninth game going into game number 10, prior to that, they had one game with 30 or more shots on goal. They've had 30 or more shots on goal in every game except that Winnipeg Jets game. So this offense is starting to have more success. Why is that, Captain Braden Shen? Anything flashy. It's uh, putting the puck in deep, grinding teams down, getting to the net, de-shooting pucks, and uh, not passing up opportunities. It's not a, it's not a, a recipe where uh, t- other teams don't know. It's just you have to have a commitment to do it, and when you do, other things open up for you, and like I said, guys get rewarded. Craig Berube's been preaching it. Shots, 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 shot, 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 everybody. Come on, guys. I thought somebody was going to. I know Bradford was going to jump in there with that one. Mm. I, was, I wasn't ready. No, you know? I know. I saw it. You're you're seeing more. You're actually let me rephrase that. You're seeing less reluctance to shoot the puck. You're not deferring, as Robert Thomas said to Derek Gould of the Post Dispatch, who was covering for Matt DeFranks. You're not deferring to the other guy. Like no, 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 you take it. No, I don't want to shoot it. That's what they did so much last year, and now you're starting to seeing guys bleep this. I'm going to take it. You saw it on the power play. You saw it at even strength. It goes into those those thirty plus shots on goal, but you're also doing it in the dirty areas. You're going to the front of the net. You're starting to force the defense to have to rethink how they play the St. Louis Blues. And to me, that's the difference that we hadn't seen all last year. It's what we didn't see in the first eight games of the season. They were trying, but when guys would go to the front of the net, the Blues would be reluctant to put the puck on net. Now they're not. Yeah, and it's a lot less, at least it feels like lately in the last four, I'd say in the last five, it's a lot less of the one and done. I, I remember so often early on, it was like, okay, there's the shot. Okay, they didn't do much with it, and here comes the, the team the other way. I feel like there is much more 
zone time for the Blues. And you're seeing that the Corsi percentage is starting to creep up for the St. Louis Blues, and really in the last four of the last five games. I think four of the last five, they're at above a 45% Corsi rate, which is still lower. You'd like to be above that 50% threshold. Yeah. But like before that, they had like one game at that mark. So you're starting to see a little bit more zone time from this team, and that is something that is very important for the Blues because where do they run into some issues? It is when they have too many of those one and dones, or where they get hemmed in their own zone too often to where they have to, okay, now we got to come out, let's dump the puck in. I saw a couple times in that Colorado game where some of those guys were willing to kind of push themselves of, okay, I'm not just going to dump this puck in. Sure, we got to get off the ice, but I'm going to skate into the zone a little bit. I'm going to buy some time, and hopefully those reinforcements coming off the bench can get there to support me, and then I can go off myself. And I think that's been some of the biggest adjustments from, from what I'm seeing. And Alex, stylistically, are you not seeing, I understand there are vastly different skill levels here, but your top six forwards are basically taking a cue from and replicating what you saw so frequently in the first few games from the fourth line, really. Absolutely. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but but nailed it, uh, Bradford. I mean, the fourth line is setting a tone for this team. Like Craig Berube finally has an identity line that he can use, but you're also getting defensemen that are jumping up into the play and not putting the team in a a vulnerable position with odd man rushes, which is the forward commitment to helping out. And you're also getting guys that are willing to take the bumps and bruises. And look, that may not last all 82 games. You might have some bad sample sizes, but for right now of a stretch of five games from that New Jersey Devils game up until now, this Blues team is starting to focus in on the best ways to win and it's working. Now, because I still have seen the comment of Still the same team as last year, Alex. They're just starting off hot. You want to do something? You want to do a, a project right now, T-Bone? Oh, is it one of those where I don't have to do a lot on the project? Yeah. Because I love those in school. We'll make Bradford do all the work okay, here. Good. I thrive okay, in homework, guys. It's yeah, all see, good. See, we're going to make Bradford <laughs> do all the work here. This is like science where you find the guy to yeah. do it, and then we'll be the McLovins. And then I show up for like when the volcano actually erupts. Yeah, and be okay, like, oh, yeah, look, I did all of this. So 13 games. That's the threshold we're at right now for the St. Louis Blues. You want to know where this team was at in certain numbers individually through 13 games last year? I don't know if I want yeah. to relive last yeah. year. Yeah, we're going to relive it because the people that say it's the same team as last year, Alex. Yeah, we're about to show you that it's not. So I'm going to go through some of the guys that started off poorly last year. Braden Shen. He was a minus eight who had 12 points in the first 13 games last season. 12 points is pretty respectable. Minus eight tells you the defensive flaws. Right now, he's got five goals, nine points, and is a minus two. Stick to the forwards. Robert Thomas, we were debating if he was that number one center. Two goals and seven assists, a minus seven. Right now, he's got six goals, nine assists, and is a plus six. This is the one that made me kind of the eyes bug out of my head. Jordan Cairo, four goals, five points, a minus 16. You know what he's at right now? Two goals, seven points, and is an even. Now, I know that even is surprising. I'm like, well, it should be more. Think of the goals that he's missed out on. That's what I was just about to say. Though though it does feel like, because he had four goals last year compared to two this year, but he has more points. He, he could easily be in the same range as... Robert Thomas this year, who's got 15 points. Because think of the breakaways he's had. Absolutely. I mean, the shooting percentage is at like 5% right now. Like, the, he could easily be in this same conversation as Robert Thomas. And you're right, the most Im- impressive thing, and I know plus minus is a very flawed stat, but it, I think it lines up with the eye test here so far. To it where does. He has been much, much better defensively. And he's not he's not like a Selkie. He's not in the Selkie conversation. He's not. No, and he never will be. And he never will be. But he's where we thought he needed to be, which was 
average to slightly above average. And I'd say right now he's probably slightly above average the way he's playing and defensively. And he's the reason Braden Shen is having so much success. Exactly. Once those two lines connected, Braden Shen has gone off to put up f- five goals and four assists. So that's part of the success that Jordan Cairo has been having. Now let's do the defense because I know this has been ugly for a lot of people. Justin Falk, three goals and eight assists, 11 points, was a minus five last season. He's got zero goals, but he is a plus nine. That's top 15 in the National Hockey League among defensemen of the plus minus. And to add into it, Jordan Kai, or not Jordan Kai, Tori Krug, he was a minus four around this time through 13 games last year. Now he's sitting at a plus five. So those guys are a plus 14 combined. And then one more I'll throw at you, which because I know plus minus people are probably banging their heads against their dashboard right now. Pareko and Letty, the top duo that everybody was so frustrated, minus 19 combined through 13 games last year. They're a minus one combined right now. This is a completely different team from top to bottom, and you're seeing the the, the fruits of that labor. And, and Bennington as well. We went back and looked Absolutely. at his numbers. He's got a nine, I think it's 923 save percentage right now. It was 889. Yeah, he's basically 70 points, 70 percentage points better, or no, excuse me, about 50 percentage points yeah. better in save percentage from last year to this year at this time, and his goals against is a goal better. That's yeah. one goal basically per game that you're not giving up at this point this year that you were last year when you had Bennington, which is very impressive. And I'll be honest, though this isn't a statistic, it, it is very evident to tell right now this year they have found chemistry on lines way faster than they ever did last year. And honestly, I don't even know if they ever found chemistry on lines last year because remember at this time you've got Josh Levo, who, what, what do we say? He's like playing in England yeah, right he's now? In, he's uh, yeah, in he's over. KHL. He's either KHL or he's in uh, Swedish Hockey League. Fearing well, though. Yeah. yeah. He, you've got Josh Levo on the top line with Ryan O'Reilly at this point, trying to find a way to get Ryan O'Reilly yep. going. Uh, the second line was a mess at this point last year. You're trying to find someone to pair with Vladimir Tarasenko. Like, you never had any lines that were clicking. The fourth line was basically two forwards. You had to bump Achari up to the third line because you were so desperate for offense. This year, I, I feel confident in saying, you know what, they they know what their top line is right now. And it may not end up being that line in 20 games from now, but they know what it is right now, and it's Kapanen, it's Tana, Thomas, and it is Buchnevich. Yep. They know what the second line is. It's Saad, Shen, uh, Kairu. and Kairu. The third line, third line's kind of iffy, but then they've got a fourth line that is the identity line for this team, and we'll talk about them later on in the show. Three of the four lines they've got figured out. Their defensive pairings look like they've solidified themselves. Bennington playing well. You've now got a backup that we talked about on Friday that's playing well in uh, Joel Hofer. Like, this is a, it's the same team with the same names, but they're playing a different system, which means it's a different hockey team. And yep. you're seeing that come come full circle this year. And I think it's officially time. I don't want to say I'm going to buy in and say they're going on a cup run. It's officially time that I feel like we can say, you know what? They don't have the same issues as last year. Let's see if they can make themselves a playoff contending team. It's understanding that buying in is not this is a cup contender. Buying in is and we're no longer asking the question is, is if this is a playoff team. And I've got some numbers in the 12 o'clock hour. I know numbers. Me. BK's out. Somebody's got to fill that void. Nerd alert. By the way, we aced our project, guys. But I've got the numbers that can show you that they should be considered one of the top teams in the National Hockey League, which sounds insane to say because of one statistic. But we'll get to that a little bit later. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, ah, Mizzou. Mizzou proved all of the doubters wrong. Took down Tennessee. Does that mean we're going to see a significant bowl game for this Tigers team? We'll discuss that and a couple of other nuggets with college football next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 
ESPN. First and goal for Mizzou at the seven. Schrader, number seven, in for the touchdown. Cody Schrader. Nate Pete's in there. They fake the pitch to him. Cook goes in, standing up. Brady Cook, touchdown. Milton looks right the whole way, and it's intercepted. Picked off. This will be a pick six for Dalen Carnell. Touchdown, Missouri. No reason to throw, but they do anyway. And it's not only a first down, it's a touchdown to Luther Burden. Everybody in this country should believe that we belong. You know, we, we've known that internally, um, and I hopefully everyone else is seeing that. And uh, hopefully you guys uh, believe as well. How about the Tigers indeed Mizzou with the massive victory over the Tennessee Volunteers on Saturday 36 to 7 final score as they are now uh, that was a spanking that was a spanking and of course the broadcast courtesy of or that audio courtesy of CBS and uh, the Missouri football team on Twitter but this Tigers team with that victory moves to 11th in the AP uh, the uh, the rankings as it drops Tennessee down to 21 and look they they had victories over K-State they had victories over Memphis over Kentucky those were good games Nothing compares to this Volunteers victory for that Missouri Tigers team. And you heard there at the end talking about, you know, if anybody isn't buying into what this Tigers team is putting together, this should do it. And he's right. I said on Friday, we said on Friday that as as great as this season has been for Mizzou, that was a, a make or break game in terms of are they actually building something or are they just kind of slowly taking strides. And to me, offensively, you dominated. Defensively, that was even more impressive for me to hold them to seven points without Hopper for a majority of that game. And the Tigers' result is walking away from this saying, yeah, we're here to play in the SEC. Now, the real question is, did that game solidify a New Year's Six Bowl? Because that is... Really, that's the that's the end check mark for this team of a successful season for drink T Bone. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that they're there just yet. They they have the they have paved the path for themselves because they should win the final two games. A loss to Florida, loss to Arkansas. That that can't happen because you're going to be favored in these games. And let's just be honest, you're a way better football team than that. Oh yeah. Um. So God, please this, don't lay a dud against one of those two teams. <laughs> yeah. This was one of those final tests, I would say for. The Missouri Tigers, and I, I thought they were the better team coming into this um, because I know they were a two-point underdog, but I, I just have never trusted Joe Milton in Tennessee this year. Uh, so I, I the New Year's Six question, yeah, I think it can definitely happen, and I definitely think it's in the cards. I think they need a little bit of help, though, because they're 11th right now in the AP poll. We'll see where they rank in the latest college football playoff rankings. I would assume they're probably going to be somewhere in the same conversation around this 9-10-11 range. The two teams ahead of them in the latest AP poll – at nine is Louisville, who still has still has Miami and Kentucky left. Kentucky, they should beat. Miami could push them a little bit. And then who's currently 10th is Oregon State, and they have to finish with Washington and Oregon, which is a brutal way to end your season. They're probably going to lose both those games, so they're probably going to drop below Missouri. So if Missouri takes care of business, get a little bit of help along the way, 
yeah, they definitely are going to be a team that could have a New Year's Six Bowl this year. Yeah, and Mizzou does need that assistance because, guys, Saturday at Faroe Field, it was the last time for you to really have that signature victory to really raise the profile because a 5-5 five and five Florida team is coming into Memorial Stadium next weekend, and then you follow up with an absolutely putrid Arkansas squad. So you're going to need assistance, but what made this win, for me, gentlemen, fundamentally different in 2023? The way in which you dominated Tennessee on both sides of the line of scrimmage from start to finish. A lot of people felt as if entering this game, if you win, if you're Mizzou and you're able to pull it out against the number 13 ranked squad in the nation, maybe you eke it out. But this was authoritative from the very beginning. And there was never really any fear, despite Mizzou traveling the length of the field. They had a 19-20 play drive that stretched into the second quarter. And even though they didn't get it into the end zone, you didn't exactly feel concerned if you were a fan or a viewer because of the absolute assertiveness there. And can we talk for a minute about just how sensational and honestly transcendent Cody Schrader has been? I'm going to say, and Tanner, I emailed you early this morning about this, outside of Daniels for LSU and Beck clearly for Georgia, I'm not sure if there is another player on an SEC upper tier team that has been more valuable in the back half of conference play than Cody Schrader. Early on in the campaign, post-Memphis, we were talking about Brady Cook. We were talking about Luther Burton. We still should be doing that, but Schrader has literally carried this team in recent weeks. You know what's frustrating about seeing that success that he had in that game is that you didn't get that out of him against Georgia. And, and like I know Georgia's got a great defense, that's part of the reason, but 22 carries for a little over 100 yards against that Georgia Bulldogs team. Meanwhile, you get 35 carries for 205 yards, and then of course the receiving side of it. Like You're right, the, the, the running game for Mizzou has probably been overshadowed all season by how great the offense has been with Brady Cook and Luther Burden and the passing game defensively, how they've shown signs of dominance. But you don't really see as much talk about Cody Schrader all season long, whereas after that performance, now he's being talked as one of the best running backs in the SEC. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there was much disappointment in the Georgia game. He rushed for 112 yards on 22 carries, which is impressive against a Georgia team. And as much as you're right, they don't. We don't talk enough about the running game for the Tigers. Why? Because we think of Luther Burden, who's a wide receiver. We think of Brady Cook, the quarterback. Sure, yeah, it's the sexy I mean, part of the game. They, they don't have this this running game. I don't think they're a top fifteen team in the country. I, no. I really don't. They're still a good team. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think they're able to win maybe one or two of these games without Cody Schrader because he has been as good as Bradford said. He, he's been awesome. They are a really well-balanced team, and I know I think it was Monday last Monday I was out coming off of that Georgia game, and I know you guys talked about it, and I agree with PK. You know, you play that Georgia game and Mizzou plays like they did two, three, maybe four times out of ten, mm-hmm. they probably end up winning that football game. Like This is a very good team. This team, and I hate to cop them to Illinois, but – I'm willing to say they are clearly better than last year's Illinois team. And Illinois team was good, but they didn't have the passing game uh, that Mizzou has. And then Mizzou has the same running game that Illinois had. And they've got a defense that is right up there with what that Illinois team's defense was last year. And make no mistake about it, the Georgia loss through no fault of Schrader's own. You're down early in the second half. You're not able to get him as many totes as you would like. But just 
in mind, guys, think about this. Bear in mind the fact that over the last three games alone, he has 83 carries. On Saturday, he flashed as a receiver in the flat coming out of the backfield. Right now, Mizzou, at least temporarily, has constructed its offense. The axis is that which is orbited by Cody Schrader. He right now is that bell cow back. And who could have imagined this? Going into fall camp, there was absolutely no chance that you thought Cody Schrader, oh, it's a cute story. It's a nice narrative. Here's the Division II transfer. He goes from walk-on status. And maybe he could grab the reins as the number one back. But as recently as that game in St. Louis versus the Memphis Tigers, Nate Pete was still getting 12 carries. Cody Schrader has taken the reins, and even more impressively, he has done so on the heels of a pretty severe quadriceps injury. There's a lot to be said for the guile and just how tough he is in the second halves of these games. Think about it, guys. The SEC for years, a few years ago, it was predicated on being able to win games, salt the outcomes away in the second half in the fourth quarter. Cody Schrader gives you that opportunity to do so. Whoever you're playing, wherever you're playing in December or January. Just to put this in a little bit perspective for the rest of the way, so they do have a legit shot at being ranked ninth at the end of the season. Ninth place team Louisville is taking on Miami and Kentucky, but if anything, if Mizzou can close out the rest of the season, you're talking about being a top 10 team because 10th ranked Oregon State takes on Washington and Oregon, and frankly, just talking about that means they might be 0-2 in those final two games, so that gives Mizzou a legit shot at being a top 10 team by the end of this season, which is just a massive success. Because it's a massive success, I don't think this is going to happen, and if BK was here, I'm sure he would shut this down immediately. But should Tiger fans be a little worried about Drinkwitz moving forward? Because Texas A&M just fired Jimbo Fisher, paying like, what is it, $75 million to yes, get rid seven, of him? Oh, 76. Yeah. Or $76.8 million. I mean, a, a massive disappointment when you're talking about 45 and 25 overall record, but 27 and 21 in the SEC. And look, uh, Drink isn't like the, uh, the, the world beater in terms of the SEC. Like, this is the first season where we're starting to feel good about him. But if you're Texas A&M and you see the recruitment that he's done in Missouri, which has not been easy to do in the past, and now it's starting to dominate in the SEC, you got to imagine they consider that, right? I mean, I would think so. I mean, I'm sure everything's going to be on the table for Texas A&M. Now, do I think Drink's going to walk and go to A&M? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think he's got something that's too good here at Missouri. Agreed. He's building up a very good program here with the Tigers. Um, he, he can recruit really well, and I think that's part of the allure if you're Texas A&M is his strategy at Mizzou has worked. Hey, we're going to win in our state. We're going to make sure these kids don't leave, and then we can go find talent from elsewhere. Right. Um, and and I, that would be their hope he would do in Texas, but it's a lot tougher to recruit in Texas than it is to keep these kids here at home in Missouri. Um, I, I don't think he would leave. I I think if if this was a true, and maybe people push back on this, a true blue blood program, like this was Bama, Georgia, LSU, you know, Clemson, one of those kind of teams, Michigan, Ohio State, then maybe there would be some concern if one of those teams said, you know what, drinks our target. I, I just don't view A&M in that. I, I think they're one of those false, we want to be a blue blood program, but the whole reason they're on the map is from Johnny Football. Johnny Manziel <laughs> built right. that program whenever that was. That's been like 10 years now. <laughs> so, so you were in grade school when that I, happened. Yeah, I I actually was I think. No, um, I, that's why I said it. <laughs> I, I I don't think I don't think there's too much concern. Not yet, at least. I mean, his name hasn't popped up in the first round of names, so I'm not too concerned about him leaving for the A yeah. and M job. By comparison, Kevin Sumlin's record doesn't look too shabby now in Aggie Land, does it? Yeah. You no, know, logically though, Drinkwitz he's inked to a contract there. 
you know, quote unquote, inked through 2027. I would be worried about something else, not necessarily the head coach being poached, but how about his top assistants? Yes, we're peering into the future, but the work that has been done, that has been executed and orchestrated this season by Baker on the defensive end and Kirby Moore on offense. I think those are the likes from which you may be getting poached in 2024. And how important is it to have that continuity on both sides of the football guys? If indeed that comes to pass, that's something that you need to worry about as a Tigers fan. They'll be coveted. He's Bradford Bruns, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Mizzou will be back at it on Saturday when they host Florida, the uh, second to last game of the regular season for the Missouri Tigers, and maybe one more opportunity to solidify that uh, New Year's Six Bowl uh, for this Tigers team. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got our questions and answers segment. You can text us on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. can also check us out on our studio cams, which is presented by Air Alliance Team. Just head over to YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. But week 10 almost in the book around the NFL. Let's do some quick hitters next on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Week 10 almost in the books. It'll wrap up tonight between the Bills and Broncos, which you'll be able to hear right here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game starting at 6.30, kickoff a little after 7 o'clock. Alongside Bradford Bruns and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario, 314-399-9646. That's our Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to your questions coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But guys, let's start with our quick hitters as we head on down to Houston. Where somebody very intelligent on this show going into the draft said CJ Stroud is the guy. Oh, thanks, man. Nope, I'm nope, glad you nope, nope. To me. Not you, Mr. Bryce Young. Not yeah. Bryce Young, guy who can't see over his offensive lineman. Not Anthony Richardson. That's a cheap shot. It was a cheap shot, but it was worth it. Yeah, Richardson's been was good when healthy. He was, but that was like two games, and the guy loves to get hit and unfortunately couldn't stay healthy. But CJ Stroud loves to get hit, but also throw touchdowns. Guys. Tongue-in-cheek, yes, but they just beat Cincinnati. And C.J. Stroud is and has been the reason that this Texans team is considered a playoff team right now, which seems incredible to say. But he's thrown for over 2,000 yards, 15 touchdowns, two interceptions. Where does he rank among quarterbacks right now in, in the NFL? And why is it top five? I would say I think it's top five, but it, it's incredible, man. He's going to have to gain some. I don't think he wins it. But I think he's got to gain some consideration for MVP. Oh, if he does this the rest of the season, he's got to be in consideration because nobody else has run away with it. I mean, we had a conversation, I don't remember if it was last week or it was two weeks ago. You know, we said, who's the quarterback that if you were to vote for an MVP, who would you take? And I remember going, man, I don't, you know. like, like I think we I guess settled on, like, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I mean, like, Jalen Hurts has been good. Like, the numbers look fine. But he hasn't, like, 
wowed me. Mahomes hasn't wowed me. Oh, he's been night and day better than Patrick Mahomes. Stroud's been awesome this year. I mean, he's thrown just two interceptions. He's thrown for, I think it is 2,100 yards. If I'm not, 20, 2,600 yards. Uh, like, he's been incredible. 19 touchdowns, two interceptions. He led back-to-back game-winning drives. He's by far the best rookie quarterback in the class. He's definitely playing like a top-five quarterback Guys, right now. Anybody know who Noah Brown is? No. I do after yesterday's 100-yard-plus yeah. performance. 170 by. yards that he had in that game. This guy was drafted in the seventh round back in 2017. Steal. And I know everyone's like, oh, yeah, we know who Tank Dell is because he was a second-round pick. Fine. If you want to go down that path, fine. Noah freaking Brown has had back-to-back weeks where he's had over 100 yards and multiple touchdowns because of C.J. Stroud. Yes, C.J. Stroud demonstrated, guys, that he could do this, albeit briefly, at Ohio State. But what I love here is that essentially in the absence, the complete absence of a ground game. Think about it. Pierce hasn't been in place in the backfield this year. Oh, they've been yesterday, using Singletary. Yesterday, you finally got something out of Singletary. He didn't even have Nico Collins available as a downfield threat. I stood here last week and said, what is one of the most defining attributes or plus signs that you can say about C.J. Stroud this year? He is elevating the players around him in the vein that a veteran star would at quarterback. So it's no longer, to me, a conversation about, is he worthy of being considered for MVP? More like at this point in time, week number Number 10, is he potentially a front runner right now? You watch. In two weeks when they beat the Jaguars, we're talking about this team winning the AFC North. Well, they're not in the North, so it'll be tough. Or, I'm sorry, the AFC South, not because, the AFC North. Uh, yeah, you know right. this team will also play defense down the stretch when it gets colder in November, that, December. D'Amico Ryans has it. That's yep. the one thing, though, that I do question about the Texans team. I'm not impressed with the defense. The defense uh, is getting, has been shredded the last two weeks. And, and I look, their season's been kind of a roller coaster because two weeks ago at Carolina versus the Saints, they beat the Saints 20-13. They lose to the Panthers 15-13. Stroud does not play well. Last two, he's played great. Those two games, the defense was really good. Now, granted, those were two bad offenses, <laughs> and now the defense goes up against the Bucks and the Bengals and has been shredded. So I'm a little concerned about the defense, but hey, man, when you got C.J. Stroud playing like this, which I didn't think he'd get anywhere close to playing like, because in college he was too inconsistent for my yeah. liking. And here, and he had Marvin Harrison Jr. in college. Exactly. And he's been awesome so far. He's by far the best. He's going to win Rookie of the Year. Well, and that's credit to the coach. I mean, like, the coach has been incredible with what the Houston Texans have done. So since we're talking AFC and I had the uh, Freudian slip there and said the AFC North, who's the best team in the AFC? Because the Ravens just laid an egg against Cleveland. We'll talk about that tomorrow in our pick em reveal. The Dolphins have gone kind of silent. The Bills have been inconsistent. The Chiefs, yeah, they're 7-2, and two, but I'm not buying into them. I don't know who the, the best team in the AFC is anymore. Frankly, what started at the year of us acting like the AFC playoff contenders were, were already written in pen, now it's the NFC side where the AFC, I'm confused. It was in vogue early on to ride with Miami, and rightfully so. Over the last couple of weeks, I don't know how we arrived at the point at which Baltimore suddenly was being crowned as the prohibitive favorite, as many wanted to do in the AFC. To me, until proven otherwise, the road still goes through Kansas City. I understand aesthetically, stylistically, this team has been far from where it was even a year ago. But you can't tell me, given the current record, and especially aside from the statistics, we know that Patrick Mahomes isn't having the same type of campaign in 2023. The defense is the calling card 
on a lot of fronts for Kansas City this season. And if that is the case right now, if you're able to solidify matters to some degree, you develop Rice in the downfield passing game, you keep Mahomes upright, Kelsey continues to do his thing, you lean on Pacheco a little more, I still don't see anyone. Tell me, guys, who's going to come into Arrowhead Stadium, if that's how it plays out, and actually take down the Chiefs in the winter? I mean, I would say the Ravens can do I, it. I think there's two teams that can do it. And you tell me what you think of the this. Texans. Uh, maybe <laughs> the reason I was hesitant on the Texans is because the Chiefs got a great defense, and I don't know if the Texans could stop Kansas City. But see, here's the I thing: you got to have a great defense to beat them because right now Mahomes doesn't trust his wide receivers. So the yeah. two teams that pop out in my mind are Baltimore and maybe Cleveland, but Cleveland I don't trust enough. So I would probably just say Baltimore because their defense but has I played see, fairly well. But I could see Miami beat them in an offensive shootout. I could see Cincinnati come in and, and win in an offensive shootout as well. Like. That's the thing about Kansas City. As much as I do believe their defense is good, you don't have weapons to get into a shootout with some of these other teams. See, I, I don't think Miami can beat them because we've seen them struggle against good defenses this year. Uh, the Bengals, like, as much as I was buying into them last week, and maybe it was just the T. Higgins injury that really threw them off this week, again, another time where I said, okay, maybe they're turning the corner, and then they lose to Houston. So, That's true. Uh, they're sitting out of the playoffs right now. Playoffs begin today. There are no Bengals. There are no Bills. There mm-hmm. are no Chargers. So... Mm-hmm. I agree with Bradford. I think I would still pick the Chiefs, though I lack confidence in them, just because they have Patrick Mahomes. And I got to see you beat that team before I'm going to say, okay, yeah, you're going to be able to take care of business and win the AFC. And yet, at the same time, maybe it's counterintuitive, but I would elevate the Bengals. Yes, today, here as we sit in mid-November, I would elevate them over the Ravens, and this is why. Yesterday, we understand, yes, they fell at home. They fell at home to the storybook season that is being constructed right now by C.J. Stroud. You still have Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow in a key game. I trust him to preserve the ball and take care of the ball better than Lamar Jackson. We know about the playmaking abilities there. But guys, why isn't anyone talking about the issue, the dilemma there, Lamar Jackson and ball security? The fumbles, the interceptions, those will come to pass. Those could come back to bite the Ravens in the end. And the inconsistency of the offense. Like two weeks, I feel like this offense is clicking and now they're actually throwing to Mark Andrews. And then this ne- this past game, you're like, oh, they threw it to him twice. Like they're, they're so up and down, which I think you could say for the entire AFC. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario, 314-399-9646. That is our air comfort service text line we'll do questions and answers next on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn you've got questions we may have the answers maybe it's pk and ferrario's questions and answers on 101 espn 314-399-9646, our Air Comfort Service text line alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is time for questions and answers. You send us a question, we'll answer it here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's start with this one. Guys, reports are that Aaron Rodgers could return by December. Does that make the Jets team a playoff team? Are you serious? If, if they're still in it. I mean, I guess you're still in it, but you got, if, if it's mid-December, which I think is what the reports were, That's what, four more weeks? Three more weeks? They lost to the Raiders last night on 101 ESPN. I mean, like, three weeks we're talking about a hole that you can't dig yourself out of. Yeah, I... First off, I don't even buy that he's going to be back in December. What are you talking about, man? He's having a miraculous recovery. Yeah, I know. Miracles I, do happen. Ayahuasca. Yeah. Not when you blow out an Achilles. Uh, they don't. Um, so I don't buy he's going to be back in December. 
But if he did, let's say just for argument's sake, it's probably going to be too late. I mean, they're four and five. I mean, Bradford just mentioned they lost to the freaking Raiders last night, who are a terrible football team. What do you- and their next three games or here, let's just run through their schedule. Oh, okay, win or loss to mid December. Okay, this is before Christmas. Their Christmas Eve game, which is three weeks left in the year, at Buffalo next week. Loss. Nope. Versus Miami. Loss. Versus Atlanta. Loss. Actually, they might win that They'll one. Take it, maybe. <laughs> uh, versus Houston. Loss. At Miami. Loss. Yeah. Cool. They'll be done. I, here's Can I give you a tinfoil? I think the Greek hero Achilles himself came down and touched Aaron Rodgers' Achilles tendon, and that's why it's healing. Wow. That's what okay. I think happened. That's oh. interesting. I think he prayed to Achilles himself, and he basically said, you know what, Aaron? I, I heard your prayer, and... Here's your Achilles tendon back. You want to know my theory? He's just full of BS and he's not going to recover in time because he blew out his dang Achilles. <laughs> or, or he's full of BS and he actually didn't blow out his Achilles. It was just that a, too, a that's little a good tendon theory too. strain. Number um, one, love the mythology. Number two, though, pack it in if you're the Jets for 2023. Now, going yeah. ahead to, to next season, Rodgers being under contract or at least committing this was prior to the injury for one more year. Actually, in that division, considering the likelihood, I don't know if you would say likelihood, but Buffalo really could could well blow it up. Miami, okay, Miami's going to be there. New England, in absolute shambles. But New York coming back next year with a healthy Brees Hall, that defense, all of the building blocks, it really looks good next year. Rodgers isn't coming back. Forget about it. Yeah, I like this question from the 314. Guys, people are buying back into the Blues. Why are St. Louis fans so willing to be patient with the Blues but not be willing to be patient with the Cardinals? Great question. I I think it is, really, I think it is twofold. One, the Blues are coming off a cup not even five years ago, if I'm not mistaken. 19, they won it all, so that's four years ago at this point. Um, So there's still a little bit more patience. You're okay with saying, okay, we won the cup, and when you see a team win a cup, what do you think? You think of a team that went all in, and at some point a team that goes all in has to retool, even though I don't think that necessarily happened. But... um, I think that's part of it, considering that Mo hasn't been to a World Series since 2013, and all fan bases want championships, like you should. Um, so I think that is a big part of it. So, and you've become stalemate as the Cardinals, or stalled as the Cardinals, I should say, where we've seen this pitching issue kind of coming, and they just kept avoiding it and avoiding it and avoiding it, and then all of a sudden it hit, and you're a 90-loss team. And then the second thing for me is, I think fans are more receptive to the Blues because they've seen Army go all in. Mm-hmm. Mo's never gone all in. Never. Not at not a trade deadline. I don't think he's ever done it in an offseason. He's very, very, what would be the word I'm looking, conservative, to where he says, okay, I've got $45, $50 million to spend this offseason. Instead of going out and getting one guy that I think can help us out significantly, let's spread the wealth around. Unlike Army, who will say, all right, it is time for us to make a massive trade. What do we do? We're going to trade for Ryan Miller. Oh, it didn't work out. Okay, we need another centerman, even though we signed Bozek. What are we going to do? We're going to si- we're going to trade for Ryan O'Reilly. I think those are the two biggest differences as to why Army gets more leeway. Your quick one-word answer as it relates to the Cardinals, transparency. That is the perception of Cardinal Nation as it relates to John Mosaic. And also, Tanner, you mentioned the fact that, yes, Blues may be more of that grace period per se, having won the Cup just a few years ago. But what fans are really able to what resonates with them is the fact that in how many press conferences over the last few months have we heard Alex Doug Armstrong say basically, okay, that goodwill that was engendered, that's gone now. And so that sort of proactive mindset, I think that messaging makes all the difference with the fan base. Yeah, I, I think I think it comes down to honesty. Uh, 
we really haven't seen any honesty from John Mozeliak. It's been, well, this is what's going to happen, but oh, wait, that's not really what's going to happen. Meanwhile, Doug Armstrong blatantly told everybody last year, look, this is going to be a little bit of a retool. We're about to refresh this, and it's going to be a couple of years. He does he does tell honesty, but it's a trick of honesty. Where payroll's Talking going Mo? up. Yeah, payroll's going up. Yeah, because Wayno's getting deferred money. But there's no tricks with Army. Exactly. There's no tricks. Because it's, it's this like, is going to be a rough couple of years. We need to develop the attitude, and we need to develop the core for our team before we can take the next yeah. step. It, it's like saying, I'm going to take you out for dinner on our first date, and then I take her to like Burger King. It's a good know? dinner. It, I, I took Castle, her to dinner. White Castle goes all out on Valentine's Day. What she didn't know was that I wasn't taking her to a five-star Italian restaurant like she probably assumed. Yeah, but what this is more like is I'm going to take you out to dinner, and you're going to go to a nice five-star restaurant and take them out back and look in the dumpster for the leftovers. Yeah. Oh. That's <laughs> like what this is right now for this Cardinals team. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. Speaking of the Blues and Doug Armstrong's honesty, he talked about this team taking steps this season. Well, they've shown that they've taken the steps. But I think it's clearer than what some see with the overall picture of this Blues develop. I've got numbers that proves they're one of the top teams in the NHL. We'll get to that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Puck recovered by Butch Navich to Thomas. Quickly moves it to Shen on a clean sheet of ice early in the period. Butch Navich, he scores! Power play goal! St. Louis! The power play did it, boys! Celebrate good times! Come on! Have they stopped scoring yet? One for 35, no more. The Blues against Colorado. Imagine being Colorado. Three for 40. Woo! (laughs) No, no, no. Three for 39. Damn it. Read your numbers right. Like, they went two for four in that game. But here's the important factor in it you went two for four against a team that had the third best penalty kill in the National Hockey League. That's what you scored it against. And, guys, guess what? They scored it because they had the one timer. Pavel Buchnevich with the one-time shot, Braden Shen with the one-time shot, bodies in front of the net, and the Blues get goals on the power play to snap that. I think it was a 26 or a 28 uh, power play it was drought there for a while. So regardless, you get the power play goal. But here's the thing. The power play is so influential on this team being considered one of the top teams in the National Hockey League. I know. <gasps> top teams in the National Hockey League, Alex. Get the hell out of here. Look, you're right now, point percentage-wise, the second best team or the fifth best team in the Western Conference. You've got Vancouver, you've got Colorado, you've got Vegas, you've got Dallas, and then it's you. But at even strength, you're one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. So I did this deep dive on Saturday. Now, it's probably changed a little bit because you scored some even strength goals and some other teams play, but I'm going to give you the numbers just off of Saturday. So coming into that game, the Blues were a minus two goal differential at even strength. They scored 18 goals at even strength, and they allowed 20 goals. But those 20 goals that they allowed at even strength, here are the only teams that allowed less than the Blues at even strength. The Rangers, one of the top teams in their division. The Islanders, playoff team in their division. Montreal, who... They're like the outlier in this one. I don't know how Montreal is in this position. Um, Boston, top team in their division. And Vancouver, second place team in their division. All of those teams have allowed less goals than the Blues. Teams that have allowed more at even strength, Arizona, 
Florida, Anaheim, Vegas, Dallas, Winnipeg, Colorado, Minnesota. So even strength-wise, the Blues are one of the top teams in terms of allowing goals, not so much scoring goals, but we know that the offense was very deficient for a while. This is where the power play comes into play. Because in terms of the central division teams, the teams that you're fighting with, Dallas was a plus six in goal differential at even strength with a 29th ranked power play. Colorado was a minus four. That changed, of course, in the last game. They had the 19th ranked power play. Winnipeg, plus nine, 20th ranked power play. And then the Blues, who were a minus two, even now at goal differential, at even strength, 32nd power play. The top teams that I told you, Vancouver, Boston, Montreal, the Islanders, the Rangers, all of those teams have a 15th or better power play. So even strength-wise, this Blues team has been one of the better teams, not just in the Western Conference, but in the National Hockey League in terms of goals allowed. Offensively, you've just seen the uptick. If you figure out this power play, and I'm not talking about this power play becoming one of the best in the league, because let's be honest, it's going to be hard to come out of a 1-for-35 hole. But if you get the power play going in the sense of at least you're an average team, you're one of the top teams in the National Hockey League. I'm not saying you're a Stanley Cup contender. I'm not even putting you in the same stratosphere as Vegas, as Boston, as Vancouver, which seems odd to say. But in terms of the Central Division and the Western Conference, you're a top three team. If your power play can get going because you know at even strength, you're good. Yeah, at even strength, you're. I, I I don't know if I'd say you're good offensively just yet, but you are good defensively, and it's allowing it to kind of be a wash. By the way, you're and, twenty. You've scored twenty even strength goals in this last five game stretch since that Devils yeah. game. So you're kind of a wash right now at five on five, to where it's playing even, and that's let's be honest, that's what the Blues' goal kind of was this season coming into it was. We're going to improve defensively is what they said. What they were really saying was, we want to be pretty much even keel at 5-on-5. Because last year, where were they getting beat? Backdoor tappings a lot. Oh, yeah. And they were getting destroyed on 5-on-5, and then they were taking advantage of on the penalty kill, and the power play was okay. I agree with you in terms of if the power play turns itself around. And I'm going to throw the penalty kill into this, too, because penalty kill's percentage is yeah, it's 23rd, I think, right now. Yeah, you'd like to see that get a little bit of an uptick, but it is... If that improves a little bit along with the power play, finding a way to find, forget what you've seen so far. Can the power play from this point on till the end of the season be kind of middle of the pack? Mm -hmm. And if it is, I said this on Friday, I I think this Blues team, I won't look at them and say, I think they're a playoff hopeful. I'll say they are a playoff team. It's just a matter of can they figure this out on the power play? I think you saw a lot of positive trends from this weekend against Colorado, and we'll see if that continues on. But you're right. They added the one-time shot. They were throwing bodies in front of the net. And if the penalty kill can kind of increase a little bit as well, along with the power play moving forward, then yeah, as long as you continue to play like this at 5-on-5, you're a team that can kind of use that momentum on special teams to help propel yourself moving forward. And all of this takes time, and look, the power play finally got off the schneid. I truly think it was just the yips there for a while, and then they finally broke through, so hopefully that builds confidence. But to put this into further context, sorry I didn't throw these numbers at you, um, the Rangers only have scored 22 goals at even strength. The Islanders have scored 20 Montreal 22, Boston 26. Like Vancouver is the outlier. They've scored 36 goals at even strength. They're awesome right now. But all of those teams, they haven't done a lot at even strength. You know where they've done their damage? On the power play. So like that's the difference right now. And look, you're you're one point behind Colorado. I know you're 13 games in. Things can change in a heartbeat. We saw that last year. 
But you being this close for having a 500 record through the first 10 to 12 games of the season, now if your power play can just give you that slight leverage, I'm not sure teams view the Blues the same way they viewed the Blues going into it, to where you go into it and you're thinking it should be an easy two points for us. Now you're viewing it as this might be a dogfight. And I think that's the identity that the Blues have finally captured. Alex, aside from the obvious suspects, Cairo, Thomas, at the risk of oversimplifying it here, if Buchnevich is to continue his recent run of production, is it really as simple as getting that sort of output from him that could push this team in a sustained way from middle of the row? Road with the man advantage to upper level tier in that regard. You mean in the success offensively yeah, for Booch? Absolutely. Yeah, that changes the power play. Completely. I, I mean, if you have let's let's look at this really quick. Like the only guy on that number one power play unit that has done anything so far this season has been Robert Thomas. Booch went into that game with one goal, or two goals, I think it was no, one goal. Shen was on a hot streak, and then he got the hat trick, of course, in that last game. Krug is finally putting together points. I think he's got like four points in his last two, three games. And then you've got Jordan Cairo who hasn't been scoring. All of those guys I just told you have all been in a little bit of a rut. Now you got Booch who's got a hat trick. Now you got Shen who just scored a hat trick. Jordan Cairo still has only two goals on the season and Krug's on a point streak. This is why we've always said the power play's got talent. The problem is they're not converting. And some of that was the yips. But yeah, Bradford, if, if Booch starts doing this, your power play starts to increase. Well, not as not only is it just going to be the power play, but that five on five offense. Absolutely, Maybe, you the, got two dominant you, lines. You've got two things that you're going to have. One of two things needs to happen to get them into the conversation of starting to climb their way up the West. And if you get both to happen, then yeah, you're going to really be in the conversation of being in third place, which was Army's goal at the beginning of the year, if we remember back to his opening presser. Mm-hmm. One of two things, or both, need to happen. Either the 5-on-5 five five offense really pulls away and starts to separate itself and you start to beat teams at 5-on-5, five five, or you can continue continue to do what you're doing, which has been the goal, which is, all right, let's make 5-on-5 five five a wash and then let's win special teams. Mm-hmm. And then the power play increase, PK comes up a little bit in terms of its kill percentage. Then you're a team that will start to climb up. But you got to get one of those two. And with Navich playing well, getting the power play goal, Shen getting the power play goal, those are probably the two guys right now that you kind of need to kind of break through. And the hope is that with the hat trick from both of them, those those guys will find some sort of rhythm because Buchnevich off to the slow start. Remember, he had the presser, I think it was after the Winnipeg game, where he said, I just can't score right now. Confidence seemed pretty low. Now he's got three goals in that game against Colorado. If him and Shen start going, there's a guy on the top line, a guy on the second line that can help you both at 5-on-5 five five and on the power And, play. Tanner, that goes back to the point you made at the very top of the show. This year, as opposed to last, right now, you can't quite say, all right, all units, all the time, you're clicking on all cylinders. But by the same token, the variations now that you have, that depth and versatility, the permutations that you can have among the lineup, the lines, I mean, that to me is what could push this team, vault this team from obviously where it was last year to now and then continuing to just roll, roll, roll. Since that New Jersey Devils game, you've outscored your opponent at even strength 14 to 7. You've allowed seven even strength goals and you've scored 14. There's the difference. You're better than most teams at even strength right now. You just get that power play going. But here's the other factor into this, T-Bone. The West has been so bad that it's allowed the Blues time to figure it out. Because last season, when you went on that skid, you found yourself a massive uphill battle. 
Now, when you've had your ups and downs, when you've lost a game, other teams in the West have also lost. When you've won games, other teams have won. If you look at the Western Conference right now, when we came into the season, who did we talk about as being playoff teams? The obvious ones were the Vegas Golden Knights, you had the LA Kings, you had the Dallas Stars, the Colorado Avalanche. But then who were the other teams? We didn't expect Vancouver to be this good. And Vancouver's no. put themselves into this. I, I think the teams for me, and you, correct me if you're wrong, I mean, you just mentioned the ones in the yeah, central Dallas, the Colorado. I, I thought for sure that you would see Minnesota up They're, in that conversation. They are now uh, three Get, points behind the Blues. With yep. The Blues have two games in hand uh, on them. Some people said the Predators. They I are don't at know just why. ten points. They're five points behind the Blues, and the Blues have a game in hand on them. And then when we looked at the Pacific, I mean, Vegas, L.A., we knew would be there. I, the third team I thought that was going to be in this conversation was going to be Edmonton, yeah, and they are the second-worst <laughs> team in the West. And I think there was a little bit of buzz around Seattle bouncing, or not bouncing back, but being somewhat continue mm-hmm. continue from last season's success, and they're still in the conversation, but they're below a 500 points percentage. I mean, the Blues are sixth right now in points percentage. I just looked up this season in the Western Conference at 577 points percentage. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that, that's it. The Western Conference has just been bad to allow you time to figure it out, and if you figure it out, you can kind of push your way ahead of the pack. I mean, like Winnipeg has been 500 just like you have been, although they've beaten you twice. Um, the Arizona Coyotes have been good, but a 500 team. Seattle's been less than 500. Minnesota's been bad. Nashville's been bad. Calgary, Edmonton have all been bad. You're talking about fighting with three teams right now for a wild card spot and two teams for third place in the Central. And you can't make the playoffs through 13 games in a year, but you sure you, as hell can knock yourself absolutely. out of the playoffs. And that's what happened last year. Last year when they went, uh, were three and seven through 10 games and lost seven in a row. We didn't we didn't hit the panic alarm like we probably should have. But you knew something was off with the Blues team, and they really put themselves behind the eight ball. This year, done a great job to avoid the snowball. Not just avoid the snowball, but start to kind of maybe push themselves into that category of, hey, getting that head start to the playoffs. Absolutely. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. Blues will be back at it tomorrow night. Take on the Tampa Bay Lightning, their last. Dub. For, I don't know if I want to get that cocky with it, but oh, yeah, yeah, might as well. I'm in, baby. It's I'm the, in. How about this? It's the last time you take on a Eastern Conference team in the month of November. So the rest of November, you're taking on Western Conference teams. So it's a massive month for this Blues team. But that game tomorrow night, that T-Bone is all in on. 7 o'clock puck drop from Enterprise Center. Ten which, goals this time. Oh, my God. I love that one. 6 o'clock first community credit union pregame here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Coming up next, you send us a scenario 314-399-9646. We'll tell you if we are in or out next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is time for In or Out here on BK and Ferrario. 314-399-9646. That is our Air Comfort Service text line. You give us a scenario, we'll tell you if we are in or out. Fellas, let's start here. In or out. If the success continues, the Blues will be buyers at the trade deadline. Oh, man. We were talking about this in the office. I'm actually going to say out and I know fans don't want to hear that but hear me out I think if you're the Blues and you're kind of in the spot you're in right now which is like 
fringe playoff team, or even mm-hmm. if they're like third in the central, I, I they're in a retool, and I still think they are lacking enough. They are lacking enough depth of scoring to be a team that is a true th- threat in the Stanley Cup playoffs. To where even if you add, it helps, but I don't think it can put you over the top. So I think best case scenario, they just stay pat. They don't do anything. And I could even see where they maybe even sell off a guy or two. Where they say, you know what, we still think we're a playoff team. Let's move a Verona. Let's move a Scandella. Let's move a, I don't know, Sammy Blay. Like, I, I could see where they move like one or two pieces that are just small. But I can't see them being buyers, not yet at least. So I'm going to say I'm out. I will take your words seriously. I will take the text lines words seriously. That if they is a continue, bad idea. If they continue to play right now as they are at the deadline. Not trying to soft pedal it here, but what's wrong with being a moderate buyer, perhaps? Alex, I believe you said in the past, if this team is in a position near the deadline to be able to really make a little noise. Let's say that they're exceeding expectations at that point in time. Doug Armstrong could very well go out and at least acquire minimal assets to support the cause. Nothing wrong with putting that out into the universe. Yeah, no, I'm going to say I'm out on this one because they're not going to be buyers in the sense of giving up future assets to get something that's a that's a uh, a rental. When you're a buyer, you go after rentals. When you're somebody that stands pat, you do a little bit of both. You say, no, oh, we could bring something in that makes us good for the future but also get rid of something. And I could absolutely see them looking at the team and saying, all right, well, somebody's willing to give us a third-round pick for Marco Scandella, and someone's willing to give us a third-round pick for Jakub Verana. Great. We'll turn those two third-round picks that we got for those two guys into somebody who could be a third-line winger with Kevin Hayes for the future. So you're not going to be a team that says, let's go all in, because that's not where you're at in this trajectory that Doug Armstrong's talked about. Two years from now, maybe you're at that position. But for right now, if the team is in a playoff spot going into the deadline, I damn sure don't want this team to ruin anything with their team by bringing in somebody that changes the dynamic. T-Bone, what do you got? Guys, in or out, Robert Thomas will eclipse the 90-point mark this season. In. Oh, in. Yeah. So oh, I like Bradford. Yeah. I know I like him. He's not like BK that's all negative all the time. Yeah, and he just sent it. He sent it. I, I mean, look. I mean, like I don't know how you don't like. You're seeing. First of all, he's got what is it? Points in six straight games now. Goals in four of his or five, five of his of last, last six because he snapped that streak in that game against the, on, the Colorado Avalanche. But here's there the thing: plenty to go around in that game. When he's what not the sco- hell? when he's not scoring goals, he's getting assists. Yeah, I, I'm more willing to accept that. Thomas gets to 100 points this season than Cairo because Thomas has got Buchnevich and Cairo's building something with other line mates. I think you're still searching for that piece that makes Cairo to that 100 point player. Meanwhile, Thomas and Buch, if Buch starts to heat up, you've got it. That is slightly more than a point per game clip. Absolutely. I'm all in. And I think right now you're just seeing an individual who's scratching the surface as far as his production is concerned. When you start to establish even more of that line continuity, whether it is with Buch, whether it's with Cairo later in the season the individual talent level is there yeah i think 100 is probably a more appropriate number and hey let's play the game of how many goals quite honestly are we talking maybe a 25 plus sort of measure this year could be yeah I, i'm in as well um because he's already on pace to do something close to this i mean 15 points in 13 games six goals nine assists um i i think you said it perfectly the reason he can probably get to that 90 to 100 point plateau get above the point per game line is because he's got a goal scorer on his line in pavel buchnevich yeah. um and honestly, Captain, it's been a nice little surprise, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Uh, and the reason that I would say kind of what you said about Cairo, too, is 
He just doesn't have that distributor at Thomas's level with him. Like, Shen's mm-hmm. a good distributor, but he's not at Thomas's level. Yeah. And Saad's just selfish and shoots the puck too often. <laughs> well, I think he's got some assists now, oh, man. Sorry, sorry. Uh, by the way, I want to react to one text that we got. It says, you'd be lucky to get anything. I won't say what they actually said for Marco Scandella. Uh, you're incorrect, 314. I don't know if people have been watching, but Marco Scandella has been very good for this Blues team. He doesn't get all the credit because he's on a third pair. But he has been massive for this team in these like close games that they've closed things out. The Blues have used him a lot late in games. Um, teams will be calling about Marco Scandella. And, of course, as a pending UFA, that's where I'd get to the point and say, I, if you're Doug and you feel confident that Tyler Tucker's ready to be a consistent third-pair defenseman, you could bring something in for Marco Scandella. And let's just be honest, the name that probably will hit the trade market potentially for the Blues, if they're in it still, is potentially Bortuzzo. Because you could use Tucker as the seventh defenseman, and a team may look at Bortz and say, oh, you know what, expiring deal. We could bring him in as a seventh defenseman, eighth defenseman. He's a depth guy. We'll give you like a third, fourth round pick for him. Yeah, he, He's the kind of guy that, because I don't know if they would trade Scandella if they're a playoff team, just because he's playing really well on that third pairing right now, and he's played a little bit with Pareko this year, I could see where they could explore a Bortuzzo deal. Cup pedigree, no doubt about it. In or out, guys, next year on November the 13th, 2024, the man who on Saturday fell just 12 yards shy of setting a new single-game record for the University of Missouri with total yards from scrimmage. Cody Schrader finds himself on a 53-man NFL roster. This is his final year, right? Of eligibility in college. Yeah, grad student. I, I'm, I'll say I'm in on this one because teams are always willing to bring a player on. I, I don't know if he lasts all season. It ends up as a practice squad player. Uh, maybe you get cut. But if he dominates the rest of the season and then dominates in a bowl game, you're not getting drafted. But I don't know how a team wouldn't say, let's bring him in. Because you can always use extra running backs for how uh, fickle that position is right now in the NFL. Yeah, I, I'm looking this up right now because I've just never, never looked to see how close the stats compare. Um, because Chase Brown's with a team right now, though he had 1,600 rushing yards and Schrader's at 1,100, so he's probably not going to get there. He'll end up being a little bit short. I think there's a chance, so I'll say in. Why not? I mean, he's a good runner. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Chase Brown. He's again, He didn't have the same numbers as him. Granted, Illinois ran a lot more than Missouri does, so I, I'll say um, in. He could be like in the same role as Chase Brown. He's on the Cincinnati Bengals. He doesn't do a lot. He's kind of just there to wear a helmet and look good, so I'll say I'm in. Yeah, and this is to take nothing away from him, but Cody Schrader, honestly, he's the textbook version of what or whom you would teach a young running back to be. The guy does all of the proverbial little things right. He's a great leader in the locker room. He is a for this program, and frankly, he's doing nothing but continuing to ascend in the back half of the season. In the fourth quarter of games, he gets stronger. He's been sensational since that Tigers contest in St. Louis, and he has helped to diversify this Mizzou offense. He wasn't even a nominal prospect at the beginning of the season, and to think about now being the leading rusher in the SEC and against premium competition, what a story. Uh, from the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646 from the 314 in or out the Blues can be in second place in the Central Division by the end of the year. Uh, you know, look, I, I just bought back in. 
I did. You just said they were going to put 10 up on Tampa tomorrow. I know. And you're just going to Because there's no Vasilevsky. Back. Well, that's fine. Uh, Jonas Johansson, I think, is yeah. their goaltender. Right? I didn't know that was a goalie until you brought up his name <laughs> in the even, commercial break. I'm not even sure it is their goaltender. <laughs> Closer examination of Colorado, though. Alex, how vulnerable is this team, particularly in net? Oh, Colorado's. That- I mean, Grant Francis, our producer on Blues Broadcasts, he, uh, he, he has been saying it from the mountaintops for the last three years, and I have bought in with him. Alexander Georgiev is not. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Alexander Georgiev is not good. They are the perfect example of a team that has an awesome roster, but a mediocre goaltender. They did it with Darcy Kemper. Not sure how they did it. Darcy Kemper might be better than Georgiev. So I'm going to say out, even though Colorado does look vulnerable right now. But who was their goalkeeper when they won the cup? It was Darcy Kemper. Yeah, that guy couldn't see out of an eye. Um, he had a scratch on his eye, I think, came mm-hmm. the reports in the Stanley Cup. And they still won it all. Like, they're a team, and I think they've got enough depth of scoring um, to where they can overcome the goaltending issues. Now, I thought that of Edmonton, and we see where Edmonton's at. So right. I'm becoming a little bit more hesitant on the Colorado Avalanche, but I don't think their goaltending's as bad as what Edmonton is. I mean, hell, Edmonton had to send their starter down to the minors. So I'm going to say out. It's not because I'm not completely – I'm not completely bought in on the Blues. I'm starting to get to that point. It's just I'm not – as out on the avalanche as maybe Alex or the rest of the text line may be. I can't go with second, but I can say confidently put that stranglehold on third. Get excited. Uh, I, yeah, I'm I'm out on this one, surprisingly. Like, first and second place to me are locked down. What? I know. I, I mean, like, Colorado, look, you put eight up on Colorado, that's great. Colorado figures it out, and Colorado is going to be the buyer at the trade deadline. It wouldn't surprise me if they signed Patrick Kane. Ooh. I know they'll get Landis Scott back because we know how the NHL works. Oh, you're in a salary cap situation. We'll put a guy on LTIR and he'll be back in the postseason. They'll be fine. But third place, I can see like Bradford said, they'll put a stranglehold on it. Let's do this final one in or out. The Cardinals sign only one free agent starting pitcher, but we still consider it a successful winter because of trades. I like this one. Uh, I'll say, I'm assuming when we say trades, we're saying trading for a starter and maybe a bullpen arm. I'll I'll say, yeah, look, as much as we talk about free agency, the Cardinals can still have a great offseason with one signing, one big trade for a starter and a trade for a bullpen arm. And then, you know, whatever else they do with that fifth starter spot, because we just look at free agency and we know the names that are out there. So it's easy for us to go, oh, go sign that guy, go sign that guy, go sign that guy. It's a little tougher to pick out the trade candidates. Though we think we know them, sometimes those guys don't end up getting moved. Like, there's a chance Glassdown does not get moved. There's a chance Cease does not get moved. Sometimes names become available that we had no idea. Like, uh, I would never have thought Luis Arias would have been traded last offseason to go get Pablo Lopez. So they can still have a good offseason signing just one starter. It just depends on who the name is and what the name is that they bring in via trade. But they can do it. So I'm in. I will venture in for the majority of the audience, though. I would have to say probably out because it all depends depends really on your perception of are you really willing to part with a Nolan Gorman type because you're not going to be able to unload the talent, your surplus of talent in the outfield or at other positions. Why'd you do for, air quotes? I'm <laughs> Because where's the, the talent in the outfield? Visuals. You know that you're going to have to <laughs> unload, unpack, 
a bat of substance. It's not going to happen otherwise, particularly on the pitching end. You're not getting anyone who's even remotely approaching that upper echelon, that top tier or two, unless you get rid of, unless you make peace with the fact that you have to dump a Gorman. And I don't think many people want to arrive at that realization, but that is the reality. You're a complete idiot if you trade Nolan Gorman. That's the text we're going to get in three, two, one. No, I got. I see a text from the four seven nine says they're going to sign Bartolo Colon and call it an offseason. Jesus. A, he's retired, and B, he won a Cy Young. Okay. And, and I guarantee that guy could pitch better than a couple of guys on the rotation right now. Speaking Looking of the starting Rob. pitching market, do the Cardinals need to stretch themselves so that they sign a pitcher, or is there another route to a successful offseason? We'll discuss next on one hundred one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So we've done a lot of Cardinals pitching talk throughout the last couple of weeks. You know, Aaron Nola, Blake Snell. Are you ever going to talk about something different? That's usually what we hear. But let's go down the Aaron Nola path once again, because our uh, Cardinals insider and friend of the show, Katie Wu, on The Athletic on Friday, put a piece out talking about the Cardinals options. And this is what she had in her piece. In other words, don't expect the Cardinals to land two of Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Aaron Nola, and Blake Snell, who will make up the highest tier of free agents in the starting pitching market. St. Louis can't overspend on one arm. If Nola, whom the Cardinals have been linked to since October, is in their price range, the Cardinals will entertain offers, but they can't outbid teams connected to top-tier starters. End quote. Now, we all know that the Cardinals have... Somewhere between 45 and $55 million to spend this offseason really depends on who you believe with the numbers. Um, this sounds like, T-Bone, the Cardinals aren't getting into a bidding war. And the uh, least surprising news we've ever heard is the Cardinals not involved in a bidding war. But you told me kind of the scenario you see playing out this offseason, and I want you to reiterate what you told me in the office before we went on the air today. Yeah, so when I read this piece, and look, what Maybe I'm going a little too overboard by saying they're not going to be a team that's going to get into bidding wars because I think they're going to at least get to a point. But I think this is how their offseason is going to go. Follow along with me. They've uh, got no. They've got. <laughs> let, they, we know they've got basically every. If you're a right-hander that has swing and miss, not even right-hander. If you can pitch and you've got swing and miss, you're on the Cardinals' big board. That's just how it is this offseason because they are so desperate for pitching. But follow along with me here as let's say Nola is one of their top targets. They're going to look at Aaron Nola. And I think he's got the qual- he's got the QO on him, so they're going to value him with the draft pick as well. And they're going to say, okay, we think that he's a twenty five million dollar pitcher. So that's our goal is to try and get him signed for five, six, however many years at about twenty five million AAV. But they may say, okay, now what is the most we're willing to go with Aaron Nola? Okay, let's say twenty eight mils, where we'll push it. Well, what happens if the bidding war then goes up to? $30 million. And I don't think he's worth $30 million, but let's just say it does. Everybody's going after him. The Braves are now interested, apparently, in adding pitching. Go Braves! Woo! Uh, so let's say that the bidding war gets him to a five-year, $30 million per deal. That might be where the Cardinals say, we're out. Nope, we're not going to do it. We're not going to outstretch ourselves because we've got plenty of needs that we've got to do this year, so we can't outextend ourselves because then that if we extend ourselves $5 million on the, our number one, that pulls from $5 million that we can throw into our number two or into the bullpen arm that we need to go out and get. I wonder if the Cardinals, should they quote-unquote stretch themselves 
for one pitcher particularly this offseason? Is there one guy on the market that you say, I don't care what the price is, they've got to land this arm. They've got to go get him, and they can figure it out from there. Or do you say, no, no, you draw the line at, all right, 28 mil, he doesn't want that, we're not going to sign Aaron Nola, and we'll pivot. Let me let me get let me give you a scenario because this is why I think the Cardinals doing what you just said of putting the number at at a spot and saying we're not going past this is the the worst decision you can make. Let's say you put a budget together. My wife and I, we put budgets together every month for our groceries. We say we're going to spend $650 for groceries and that's it. Not a penny more. That's all we can afford. Well, what happens when you run out of milk the last week and your daughters are crying at the top of their lungs? They want milk. Do you just say, nope, sorry, honey, we can't buy you milk because we hit our budget and we only buy water now? Yeah. You can't do that. Oh. Now you're just going to go a week without more groceries because you overspent your budget. Guess what, guys? The budget always seems to move. You can't sit there and say, well, we are only spending $23 million on a starting pitcher and whoever is available at that price, that's who we sign. That's great, but when Sonny Gray and when Blake Snell and Yamamoto and Aaron Nola's number all go up past $23 million, because, guys, pitching is a very uh, necessary need right now around Major League Baseball, you just sit there and say, well, we had our budget and we couldn't get it done. No, you've got to go above the asking price sometime. You've got to go past the puke point sometimes that you don't feel comfortable with if you put yourself in this position. You know who doesn't have to go above their asking price? The Atlanta Braves. Why? Because they develop proper pitching. You know who doesn't have to go above their asking price? The Tampa Bay Rays. Why? Because they can develop pitching. If you don't have pitching in the wings to help you succeed, then you have to go above your asking price. And to be worried about a bidding war with other teams? Fine. But if you don't go get that pitcher and you're left standing without a chair and the music stops, now you're getting into a bidding war about trades because you want Dylan C's? Awesome. They're going to want Nolan Gorman. You rather give up enough money that doesn't feel comfortable to you or would you rather give up a prospect who's going to hit 40 home runs for you the next season? Otherwise, that edict, which you issued as the front office, suggesting as much, saying as much, you were never really in it with which to begin. It's a proactive attitude or else... If you set the number and you're sticking by the number, adhering to that and that alone, then you are never going to actually be in the position to truly distance yourself from the disappointment of last season. Period. Yeah. And to a certain extent, I understand the idea of, okay, there's a difference between we have to add pitching and overpaying for pitching. There is a a difference there. Now, so with that being in mind, I would not give a Aaron Nola $30 million. I wouldn't give Snell a $30 million contract if that's what they end up getting. And I don't think they will, but we're using that as the scenario here because when a bidding war occurs, somebody may say, this, this is our guy. We have to outbuild it, out, outbid them. And then a rival may try and but bring you know, up the asking price as well. But you know how you don't give him $30 million? You would give him an extra year. And I know people don't want to hear that, but this is what we've talked about in the past. Like, it sucks to talk about. Well, some guys, I mean, you're right, you're right, but some guys won't won't do that. Some guys will say, well, why do I want an extra year? I want, I want more money. But if you're Aaron Nola and somebody's offering me 5 by 30 and somebody else comes in and offers me 6 or 7 by 25, it, that's a little bit more ideal if I'm Aaron Nola, knowing that I've got 6, 7 years rather than 5 years, and I know that. That sucks to think about because you're paying somebody 37 years old who's making $25 million. Yeah, but if I'm getting the talent that I'm expecting in the first three years, then my hope is I develop the proper talent behind him so I'm not relying on him to be the number one guy in six years. And look, I I agree with what you just said. 
But at some point, there is a line that the Cardinals will have to draw. We won't give a seven-year deal to Aaron Nola. We won't go at 27 mil, whatever the number is. They're going to have to draw that line. And I know a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of texts coming in. They have to get one of those top three guys. They have to get one of those top three guys. Well, I think where they would pivot then is you go get the Sonny Gray or someone in that yeah. second tier, and then you got to go to the trade market. Absolutely. And I the the reason I'm okay, the reason I don't want to say okay, overspend on a guy because they are set at a we have forty five to fifty million dollars to spend, and if they truly believe, man, if we go too much on that number one arm, it really pulls from what we can do to backfill. This isn't like they have just one need because if you just had one need, I would go. Well, if you ask yeah, Michael Gerst, their to do list isn't very long. Yeah, well, I probably probably assuming would like to take that back true um but it's not like it's not like this is a you have one need like last offseason they truly had one need they felt and i i agreed with them at the time and me and the front office were clearly wrong they definitely needed more pitching that was more of a want at the time they said we need a catcher and we need an impact bat okay well then you can go out and you can just get wills Contreras. and if there was a bidding war for Contreras. They could have said, all right, we think he's a, I don't remember what he signed for, $18 million catcher. You know what, Bidding War's getting there? Sure, why not $22 million catcher? Well, hell, we'll throw in another year. Why not? Because you had one need. So you could kind of tweak the budget a little bit for that. But they've got five needs, I would say. I know they're trying to tell you it's four, three. They've got five needs. So they've got to be able to balance things out well enough. And I know people heard that volume quote from John Mosaic. We're like, volume! We need talent! That's just volume talent! No. You need both. You need both. Well, here's the thing, though. You can acquire some of those other things on the laundry list with lesser talent via trade. You can acquire some bullpen arms with a Dylan Carlson, with a Tyler O'Neill, You can acquire that we fifth think. starter. Maybe you hope, but maybe you don't have to give up a Nolan Gorman. If you want a guy because you don't want to stretch yourself for a top arm... You're giving up Nolan Gorman. But if you can sign that number one that stretches you a little bit thinner than what you thought, well, now I have to give up maybe a Tommy Edmond to get that number two. Or maybe I give up a Dylan Carlson to get that number five. Or I give up another minor league piece to get me a bullpen arm. That's stretching yourself to the point that, yeah, it doesn't feel as bad, rather than me saying, well, no, 23 mil is what we said for an ace, and we can't get him, so now let's trade Nolan Gorman. Alex, you know who could have been had last year via trade? Murphy. Yeah, but you know what's funny about that? I where would you be? I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Where would you be if you traded? I think it was New Barn Donovan at the time. Was the you'd report. be screwed? Like what? Like who's your outfield now? Because now you can't trade Jordan from. Walker. You can't. Well, yeah, but Walker. Would you Edmund? Would who, you be in that much of a pickle? I mean, if who you would yeah. move both of because them? you're in need of two starting pitchers still. Three. You're now th- three. You two or three. You're still in need of bullpen arms. And now you need a left fielder. I'm thinking more of the long, along the lines of the outfield alignment, I guess. But yeah, yeah. but I, but I mean, and, and how? Who are you signing because, for your outfield that you're going to be able to fit under budget? And, and now that because, and I'm glad you just said that because I view that they need. A, I think they would want a center fielder. Like if they could get Bader on a one year, ten and a half million dollar deal, fantastic. That's Kiermaier esque. You could do yeah, that Kiermaier too. Kiermaier too. But the problem is, is because you've got five needs and you've got. X amount of money. Uh, and you your offense takes fit, a hit with Kiermaier. Yeah, you can't fit that want. Well, same with Bader. You can't fit yeah. that want into this budget. So I, I think if if they had made the move for Murphy, it would have worked out, no doubt about it, at the catcher position. He wouldn't have been benched from the catching position. But <laughs> the outfield becomes a little bit more of not so much a log jam, but a major question mark. Because now we can say, okay, because you have Newt Edmund Walker, and that sounds like what they're going to do mm-hmm. based on what Mo said to Katie in her piece on Friday. 
you now say, okay, what can we get for a Carlson? What can we get with an O'Neill? Can we run Richie Palacios as our fourth outfielder? All those questions are now available because they didn't make that move. And because you didn't overpay, in my opinion, for Sean Murphy, now you've got both of those assets available to you to acquire a starting pitcher this offseason. I do look at it from the other side, though, too, because then you would have entered opening day in 2023 not having that ridiculous log jam in the outfield and wondering, okay, how are we going to get reps for this guy? How are we going to start this guy two or three times a week, which created even more problems for Marmol. Yeah. From the 573, Alex, milk is not a need, it's a want. You, sir or madam, don't have toddlers at home because milk is absolutely a need. Uh, real quick, yeah. if, if I said free agency, you can get one pitcher that you say, all right, no matter what the price tag is, if we have to extend ourselves... Is there one guy on the mark you'd say you do that for? Nola. 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 Same. Yep. Nola's the guy. Because I know I got my top dog, and now I build around that. I don't think there's one for me that I would do. Because I, there are some. And you know what? Every, every pitcher on the market has some warp to them. Outside of Yamamoto, but I know extending myself on Yamamoto probably means blowing my budget out but on if, one pitcher. But if you had a clear-cut guy that I trusted at the top of my rotation, I would agree with that statement. But you don't, and I think you need one, and that's why I would go with Aaron Nola. And that's because that's also Snell, with the upper-tier velocity, you would expect that to diminish more quickly. And, and I would say, to your point of what you just said there, of you don't have a guy, I'd say then I guess I'm going to have to bite the bullet on a trade. Probably, but now you're kicking the can down the and road. And help myself deeper the rotation because of that money I'm saving. But you're kicking the can down the road one more year of being an actual contender with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Because you can... You Not can, necessarily, because I'm be saying like you're trading for trading, I don't know, Gorman for Cease, and then I'm signing a Gray because now I have more money to go get a number two. But now your offense is in a tough spot. Is it though? Like I, like, well, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I personally would trade. Would be. I would trade Nolan Gorman right now, and I know I'm the crazy one, but I would trade him because he could get me my number one at cost control. I can get Sonny Gray. I would trade Dylan Carlson for Alec Manoa. I've got my rotation set, and I'm not spending a ton of money. Now I can spend money on a Hector Neris or something like that in the off season to to strengthen my bullpen. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. But again. I'm the crazy one. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Brunzum, Alex Ferrario from the 573. Alex Milk gives people IBS. It does, and that's why I drink it every single day. Also anxiety. Coming up next, we've got our junk drawer. I might have just done it there on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. to dive into the junk drawer here on BK and Ferrario alongside Bradford Bruns and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. By the way, we are live on our studio cams at 101 ESPN STL on YouTube, which is presented by the Air Alliance team. T-Bone, what do you got? All right. Now, imagine there's a package when you get home today. Okay. There will be because it's holiday season and I'm buying all kinds of stuff. It's been delivered to you and you open it up and there are $1,000 worth in scratch off tickets. Oh. In this package, what do you do? To, first of all, I have to set aside an entire week because I'm that loser that has to scratch off the entire thing. Like, no joke. From, like, corner to corner, it all has to be scratched off. I understand. Yeah, it's like an OCD thing, and I don't know why. But I would absolutely scratch every single one of those things off and not tell anybody. And you know what would happen? What? You just wasted your time. Why? Because this happened in, uh, I think it's, this is pronounced Fallmouth. 
Massachusetts. A woman got delivered. She opened the front door, a package, and she went, man, this is a heavy package. I don't know what I ordered. <laughs> opened it up, and it had $20,000 worth of scratch-off tickets. By the way, that's when you know you have it, a problem, when you take a box inside and say, I don't know what I ordered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so she brings in the box. Now, she did return these, okay? And originally she said, I thought this was a joke. No, it was supposed to go to a local uh, like convenience store, a market, which is very well known in Massachusetts for having lottery tickets. Um but so I would have had the same reaction of, oh, cool, I got $20,000 worth of free scratch-up tickets. Of course I'm going to scratch these. Apparently, these tickets are not activated until they get brought to their actual oh, location. that makes sense. So you would have scratched off $20,000 worth of tickets, which then to find out, like, say you did win on one of those, you'd take it and go, look, 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 oh I won. God. And it's not activated and, yet. And, like, is that illegal? Like, if you scratch off tickets that aren't activated, could that be considered, like, stealing them? Well, I guess not because really it wouldn't be activated. I don't because know. How, how awful would that be? You scratch it off, you win, let's say, $100,000 and you go into the gas station. Not only do they say, now these aren't activated, but they call the cops and you go to prison because here, of it. Walk out here with us. Damn it! <laughs> that would be my luck, too. I suck. Like, I have always loved scratch off tickets. I've never got I never. I think the most I've ever won is like $5. I yeah. always get like a free ticket and I'm like, woohoo! Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh. I haven't really gotten into it, but I. I had when I saw the headline of this, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this lady is way better than me." Because I would be scratching these things off and hoping to win some money. Then, as I read the story, and I was like, "Oh, I would have wasted my time." How because, could you resist? Yeah, because it, it, they're not active. So you you win, and, and it doesn't say if it's legal or not. So I didn't even think of that part yeah. of it. But I, I would can't imagine, imagine it's not because like it would be illegal if they were activated and you scratched I don't them know, off. Because like that's twenty thousand dollars worth of tickets a that you just ruined. Yeah. And you didn't pay for it. I mean, so you're, I don't get, know what you're it getting be. in some type of legal trouble because if it's delivered to your house and it was the wrong address, you shouldn't have opened it and scratched it off. But I wouldn't. I, how often do you actually check the address on packages that are delivered? All the time. Do you really? I'm paranoid. Oh, my God. I, oh, I, I pick them up, bring them inside, open it up. I'm the guy that opens things up and then, like, regrets it afterwards. No, sir. Yeah. And like in, uh, what was it, Michael Scott in the office when he rips open the box from Saber, and they're like, God, did you have to open it like an, a gorilla? Because he just rips the entire box got, open. We got, we got a text from UPS Tony. He oh, says, thanks. yes, it is illegal. I deliver these all the time, and if you knowingly scratch these off, even if it's a mistake, you are in trouble. Well, how much God. trouble? <laughs> God, the thought of how much time I would spend. $20,000. The the amount of time that I would spend scratching off 20,000 tickets, like no joke, having to make sure it's all scratched off, and then winning, taking it to the gas station, and then getting arrested for it. I'm having anxiety thinking about that. Yikes. Go get your lottery tickets, folks. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Jordan Bennington is a top goaltender in the National Hockey League. I know that might surprise a lot of people, Greg Wyshynski, but if this sustains, what does it mean for the Blues now and for the long term? We'll discuss that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jordan Bennington is the key to the whole season, in my book. Uh, it, you're, if you're going to make the playoffs, you're going to make the playoffs because Jordan Bennington is a top 10 goaltender in the league. And and I firmly believe he could easily be a top 5 goalie in the league. And especially with the fact that this team is not giving up a lot of second-chance opportunities, uh, I, I think he's had a terrific start. 
That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, who was on the opening drive earlier today, talking about the Blues win against the Colorado Avalanche on Saturday, 8-2 final score. If you want to hear that full interview that uh, Kerbs did on the po- on uh, opening drive, or if you miss anything from our shows, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, which is presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And what Kerbs just said there is what I truly believe as well. Jordan Bennington can be a top five goaltender in the National Hockey League. In fact, right now, he's nearly a top 10 goaltender. After Saturday's game, now obviously a couple of other guys have played, Jordan Bennington had the 10th best save percentage if you isolate it to five or more games played with a 9.23. Now he's dipped down to 12 because a couple of other teams have played. But when I say the names like Jeremy Swayman, Aiden Hill, Thatcher Demko, Jake Ottinger, uh, Linus Olmark, John Gibson, Cam Talbot. That's the company that Jordan Bennington is involved with. And the part about it is why I believe he can be a top 10 goaltender in the National Hockey League. is because if you look at his numbers back in 2019, 2020, when he was an all-star, very similar numbers through 13 games. A couple of years ago when he lost his job to Villahuso, very similar numbers. Now, he, he faltered in the middle of the season, but then regained his form at the end of the year. If Jordan Bennington plays like Swayman from Boston, Hill from Vegas, Ottinger, Demko, you're talking about a team that is competing for one of those top spots. And I know in our in or out segment, T-Bone, I said out that the Blues could be a second place team in the Central at the end of the year. You know how I'd be in? Is if Jordan Bennington continues these numbers. Because when you're talking about a guy who is top five in terms of expected goals allowed of goaltenders... Our saves above expected goals allowed by Jordan Bennington. He's one of the four best goaltenders in the National Hockey League. That's the numbers that our boy Dom likes to use in terms of the analytical side of things. You're talking about a guy who in every game this season has kept his team alive up until they started making dumb mistakes on the ice. Jordan Bennington is going to provide you an opportunity this season to be a top team in the West, but he's also going to provide you the opportunity to get out of this retool faster because every team when they exit retools is always looking at their goaltender, the LA Kings. They're finally getting really good play out of Cam Talbot, but at the beginning of the season, that was their biggest flaw. Edmonton, who's ready to start competing. What's their biggest flaw? Goaltending. When teams don't have the goaltender, the retool takes longer. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start with the looking at it at this season. Look, if Bennington's going to play like this, yeah, they are going to probably be a playoff team. I, I still wouldn't say they can get to that number two spot in the Central just because I think I, I have more faith in Colorado. And but Dallas. this is how you outperform Colorado. But yeah, you got a better goaltender. Yeah, you got a better goaltender. Uh, you still, your offense will have to have some improvements. But yeah, you're right. That is how you can get to that point. Yeah, he, he's been fantastic. I, I think he's the, and I'm not saying anything obvious here, I don't, or that's a shock to anybody here, but. He's clearly the MVP of the season so far because as much as we talk about, and we talked about this a little earlier about how the West has struggled early on this year and it's allowed for the Blues to given them time to figure out their themselves offensively, Bennington's done that for them too. Bennington really saved their bacon early on while they were still trying to figure out, okay, how do we generate offense while we've moved to this zone scheme? Bennington's been fantastic. He was able to survive some of the surges that you see that come after a Blues goal. Think of that game against Colorado. You know, they go up one nothing. There's like a five ten minute surge from the Avalanche where I was watching it, going, "Oh boy, here comes Colorado." Now you've now you've really poked the bear. And Bennington kept them alive. They get the second third goal before the period, and the rest is history for that game. So, yes, if he continues to play like this, he's 
I mean, his numbers have been so good. At, he was in the top 10 before last night, before a game was played. Yeah, He he can help get this Blues team to the promised land. And even if he did go on a little bit of a struggle, we talked about this on Friday, at least you've seen Joel Hofer play really well so far, and you feel good that you have a confident backup goaltender. Now, in terms of how this would affect the retool, yes, if you have a goaltender that can put up these kind of numbers, you're in a great spot because you need goaltending to win in the National Hockey League. There's nothing obvious that I just said about that. Where I would kind of be hesitant in saying that just yet is we haven't seen Bennington do this consistently year over year over year. And plus, most goalies, there's probably two or three in the NHL that aren't like this. Most goalies are like the Cody Bellinger effect. You know, up and down seasons. Bellinger, you look at his OPS plus, one year he could be 120, next year he could be 40. And that's kind of the life of a goaltender. So I wouldn't weigh too much into Bennington's season so far and how it affects the retool in the long term, but it definitely helps them this year. And then once we get through this year, then we can start to have that conversation. I think the mindset of Bennington allows you to believe that it's not the Cody Ballinger effect with him because, like this season, we haven't seen in a bad game that blow up from Bennington. And maybe it changes, maybe later on in the season it happens, but I mean, we remember when games got ugly and Bennington kind of started to give up those weak goals, but on top of it, he started to lose his attitude a little bit. Like he started to get involved extracurriculars and people would complain about him being a whiny player. I mean, like they have Vancouver Canucks game had the perfect opportunity for Jordan Bennington to kind of lose his ish. Same can be said about the, uh, the Winnipeg Jets loss because that game got ugly, but he has stayed calm, cool and collected, which leads me to the next piece of this. And you're right. Like you, you do have to make sure it's consistent, but this is the part that I I've always said. I believe that they have a, a Jennings trophy candidate. Also, when you have these two guys playing to this level, they've earned their confidence. And this is something that last season we went into the offseason asking, like, is this group even the right group for moving out of this retool? And Doug Armstrong said, we have to find out if these guys have the correct attitude for this team moving forward. Well, in every game that has been ugly this season, the Blues have responded with a crisp game. And when I think of the ugly games, like the Arizona Coyotes 6-2 loss following that game, You beat the Pittsburgh Penguins, if I'm not mistaken. That game was as crisp as you can ask for. The ugly loss to the Vancouver Canucks, you followed that one up. And then with that game against the Winnipeg Jets on home ice, you followed it up with that performance against the Arizona Coyotes. And then the uh, the game against the Winnipeg Jets, or no, the Colorado on the road, 4-1. You followed it up with the game against the New Jersey Devils. This team has not had the snowball effect this season. And I know, still 13 games, but every single time we've gone into the day following or the game following an ugly loss, we've said, well, this is where it happens, and the Blues have been as crisp as you can ask for. Goaltending, defense, offense, you're starting to climb up the rankings a little bit. The biggest thing, and even if you miss the playoffs this year or if you get into the playoffs and you get bounced in the first round, you wanted to know that this team could find themselves out of that down spiral. That's how you build this retool. And they've shown it to me through 13 games. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because I, I think there have been times where you could have seen the snowball effect. Uh, I mean, especially after you mentioned some of those games, Vancouver, Arizona game, and they didn't allow that to happen. They came back and they responded the next game. So I, I think you're definitely seeing this team playing with a little bit more confidence. And I think you're really seeing that in the last five games where they've won four of the last five. And we've talked about the offense is starting to perform a little bit 
is performing better. Um, so I, I would agree with your assessment there. I, I think they look more confident. I'm not seeing as much of the head dip moment. And right now they've been able to avoid any snowball effect. And I, I was very concerned about that early on. I remember after the win against uh, the Calgary Flames, I said, all right, I don't want to give them too much roses here because that's one of the worst teams in the Western Conference. All the underlying numbers tell me the check engine lights on offensively. So that could still lead to the snowball. And, and it didn't happen. And, and at 13 games at this point, I think it's fair to say they may go on a small losing streak, but I don't think there's. I can't see this team falling off the cliff so badly that I go, "Whoa, what just happened?" Reflecting on the goaltending just a little bit more, how possible is it, Alex, that now at the age of thirty, Bennington has simply settled in a little more between the ears, for lack of a better term, and really found himself in who he is going to be moving forward at this stage of his NHL career? Oh, I guarantee that's exactly what's happened. I think. If if you go back and listen to the interview that we did with Mike Liute a couple of weeks ago, uh, he talked about how as a goaltender you have to control what you can control and what you can't control. You have to leave it uh, leave it on the ice. Uh, that he, he's saying it without saying that that Jordan Bennington needed to focus more on the actual game rather than trying to bring his team back into the game. He's laid that to the wayside this season. When things have gotten bad, Jordan Bennington has stayed the exact same player and let the team figure it out. He's provided the spark that they've needed to stay in the game. But he's not trying to create the spark himself. And that is Jordan Bennington figuring it out. And it's weird to say figuring it out because the guy won a a damn Stanley Cup. Like, he knows what he's doing. And then the following year, he was a top goaltender. Like, I I know I already got a couple of texts saying that he's not a top 10 goaltender. Let the season play out. Guys, he's been a top 10 goaltender in the NHL with the season before. Through 56 games when the season was canceled because of COVID, he was an all-star. He was a top five goaltender in the National Hockey League. He's had a couple of bad years where he's gotten away from who he is. And now I think you're getting right back to a level-headed Jordan Bennington. And that is a dangerous Jordan Bennington. Do I need to see what happens in December and January and February? Sure. But I can say that about every goaltender in the NHL, with the exception of a couple of guys. Jordan Bennington is in the conversation with all of these players. And now you have to wait to find out what it looks like at the season's end. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. We got Bradford in studio. And guess what, guys? It's time for the Major League Baseball Off-Season Roundup! It's coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK. You talk about a day, the worst day to miss this roundup. And he picked it right now. We've got some stuff to talk about in Major League Baseball. None of it means anything to the Cardinals because nothing's taken place. But we'll still dive into it. Let's start with this one. Braves willing to go over $22 million for a starter this offseason, according to Ken Rosenthal. This is what he had in his piece. Of the pitchers available, righty Aaron Nola is perhaps the most intriguing fit. Nola is close with Braves pitching coach Rick Kranitz, who was once with the Philadelphia Phillies from 2016 to 2018, and as a native of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who attended LSU, he might prefer to sign with a team in the South. Pretty much plain and simple, cut and dry, black and white. If the Phillies are, if the Braves are in on Aranola, you could probably kiss this one goodbye for the Cardinals. Oh, whoa. Because whoa. if the Braves are willing to go over $22 million, 
And Aaron Nolan wants five. That's fine. Are we in the South? Well, right now we are because it's a roundup. Yeah. Anyway, are we in the South? We can round down. No, you can't. We're the midway. We're the gateway to the West, sir. Not gateway to the South. Planes got to go through and then a different direction to go south. I'm not saying they're out of this yet. Look, what World Series contender? That's us, Cardinals. That, yeah. (laughs) No, those aren't the same statement. Those are two different things. (laughs) You're holding your fingers, and they were equal level. If the Braves jump into this race and they're willing to pay the money, you might be looking for somebody else. Because I don't know if twenty-five million dollars, especially if the Cardinals aren't willing to stretch. Gets you ahead of the Braves. The just rich, my opinion. The rich just get richer, huh? This seems extremely viable, and I'll tell you why. Because after the record-setting offensive season, what was the one area, the one department that let the Braves down against the Phillies specifically? Pitching. Now, injuries notwithstanding, in all likelihood, this front office, that front office, is not going to let the same thing potentially happen again. My goodness, can you think about that? Freed, Morton's coming back, and then Anola to the pile as well? Oh, my gosh. Strider? We didn't even mention Strider. Yeah, I, they they needed to add a pitcher just because they've seen what's yeah. happened to the rotation the last two years where it is good in the regular season. Problem is, is they continue to run thin once they get to the playoffs. Last year you had, uh, I think it was Freed coming back from injury. Strider was dealing with an illness, or maybe it was the opposite of that. Um, and then this year, what do you have? Freed comes back after missing, I think it was like 20 days due to a blister, and Charlie Morton's unavailable. So they're going to look to add pitching. I don't think this means the Cardinals are out of it all of a sudden. I, I really don't because they're going to – if they want a top-end pitcher, I know we just had the conversation about the bidding war and are they going to be willing to go past what they think the pitcher's worth. You may have to. And if you are if you believe Nola's the guy, like you said earlier, that you would extend yourself for him, you're going to have to outbid a team like the Atlanta Braves. So I, I don't think this is the end of it, but it is interesting that the Braves are getting back into the starting pitching market. I think what this means is if the Braves are going after Aaron Nola, you're going to have to extend yourself if you want Aaron Nola. You can't be a team that says we're only giving you $23 million and that's it. You're going to have to make it. You're going to have to make it to the point that the Braves aren't willing to pay the money that you're willing to pay Aaron Nola, and that's where I get skeptical if the Cardinals will do it. But I mean, you got to know that hey, this is how we get these guys done. And if you don't want to, then you better have an option B, C, or D so that you're not left standing without a chair. Next piece in our off-season roundup: the Cincinnati Reds have a better trade piece than the Cardinals. What was that? A statement or was that a question? Felt like a statement. Well, maybe it is because they're willing to offer up Jonathan India, it sounds like. In a couple of reports, it's brought up that uh, the Cincinnati Reds could float Jonathan India out. Of course, the uh, utility infielder, the Reds, who could play second base, he can play shortstop. If he's out there, and we all know that the Reds need starting pitching, who's got the advantage in the trade market? Jonathan India or Nolan Gorman? I would actually take the side of Nolan Gorman, and I'm sure the text I'd be like, Nolan Gorman? I would, too, for what it's worth. Uh, just because he's got pop. Pop. Yeah. What, what's, what's sexier, home run or contact? I'm more of the home run guy. Well, and you're the more the bunting too, guy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but al- also, there is the fact of the matter that the last the two years that Nolan Gorman's been up, uh, his OPS plus, 100 league average, adjusted for the ballpark and all that. Gorman 2022, 4% above league average. Last year, 17% above league average. So you see a little bit of improvement from Nolan Gorman. For Jonathan India, one, he's dealt with a, a bunch of injuries. And uh, yes, I understand Gorman has dealt with the back issues this year. But for Jonathan India, rookie of the year, 16% above league average. 2022, 6% below league average. And then this year, right at league average at 100. So Nolan Gorman's just the 
better overall bat. And it's a different profile if you're looking for more on base. Maybe you lean towards the side of Jonathan India because that's more of his game. Over the, Gorman's the massive power bat, though. Over the last year plus, yes, you can say better overall bat, but it was only two years ago that India actually took home the hardware for Rookie of the Year. And from the red standpoint, I don't really understand this, guys. You talk about that infield alignment right now and what they could carry into 2024. Why wouldn't you beef it up even further? You've got De La Cruz. You have India under control. You have Encarnacion Strand, on whom they're very high at first base as well it doesn't make sense to me i don't get it i I think a lot of people are asking that question if you're not following the reds the reason you make this move is unlike where you have a bunch of depth and pitching where i would say hey i'd hold on to that thing like it's a baby because we've seen how pitching breaks position players don't really break the reds have too many guys they're having a tough time figuring out we talk about the cardinals log jam they have a log jam in their infield, and I think that's what they're trying to figure out, and I think that's why they're going to trade Jonathan India. Uh, our boss, John Kioski, just walked by, and I'm not sure he knows what the hell just happened. It felt like he looked at us like uh, we're all insane, which we kind of are, John, so I apologize about that. My here's, bandana feels a little stiff. It's a little to, tight, too, right? To can you breathe over the there? Um, here's the thing. If, if Jonathan India is available via trade and you and the Reds are going after a similar starting pitcher, you have to trade Nolan Gorman. You can't out trade Cincinnati if you're offering up a Brendan Donovan or a Lars Newpar because I think Jonathan India is a more intriguing player in that trade. Um, I think you have I, to move Nolan I Gorman. Sure, I, I actually think all three of those guys would be a bigger trade chip than Jonathan India. The injury India. for Brendan Donovan makes people skeptical and Maybe, the, the track record. But that is something that I mean, we've seen most position players when they have a arm surgery, like think Corey Seager. Seager dealt, had Tommy John surgery. Um, I, was, I had another name in my head, and I just lost it. But there have been multiple position players that have had Tommy John surgery. Bryce Harper's another one that just had it. And they come back, and they end up being fine. It's not like he is dealing with a significant lower leg injury. We've seen how that can derail careers in Major League Baseball. And then you add into the fact that Donovan has showed a little bit more pop this year. You add in the fact that he's an on-base guy like Jonathan India. But the difference is he can go everywhere. We saw it this year. He played a little bit left, played a little bit right, second, third. We've seen him at shortstop, first base. Like, he can do it all. And then for Lars Newpar, he's the guy that you say, okay, he has an on-base plus 20-25 home run power. Maybe that's the closest comp to Jonathan India, but just on the infield. But I think those two guys are bigger trade chips, even Nolan Gorman as well are bigger trade chips than Jonathan India. Be interesting. All right, one more with our off-season roundup. Yeah! Oh, no, wait. What's the bullseye one again? Uh, ride like the wind bullseye? I thought you were going to say high uh, silver. One I more time. Go ahead. You're out there. No, I can't. Embarrassing now right I'm now. I'm scared. I'm going to screw up because someone on the text line was <laughs> yep. like, your guy's grammar's not very good. Well, well, else anxiety. What else West. is new? Yep, you can't perform in front of the big stage, man. We all yeah. get it. Look, the Cubs. A lot of pressure here, text line. The Cubs announced that uh, Craig Consul is officially the manager. We already knew that, but it's officially official now. Uh, the Cubs are making things interesting in the NL Central. Now, don't overlook the fact that Milwaukee might uh, hire Mike Schilt. That makes things dangerous for the Cardinals. But the Cubs reportedly have interest in Reese Hoskins. Some executives believe that Shohei Otani could be their top target and they could legitimately sign him and their favorites to land free agent center fielder Cody Ballinger. Their name has also been floated out there with the Juan Soto trade. Uh, Those reports, though, of course, of courtesy uh, Bobby Boogie, Bob Nightingale of USA Today. Guys, if the Cubs are going all in, 
this, this makes things a lot more intriguing in the NL Central. And I know you can't do, you can't react to what other teams do in your division. You have to do what you believe you can do. But if the Cubs are going to find ways to bring in a lot of pieces offensively and they're willing to spend the money and they've got the slight advantage on the manager side, you're in a you're in a dangerous division once again. And this town ain't big enough for the two of them. I think the three of us. Well done. Who's the, the other one? I think the Reds are going to be an interesting oh, team. Oh, man, they're going to trade Jonathan they, India. Well, to get a good starter. Well, um, maybe. I, I think we're getting closer. I don't think we're there yet. But I think within two, three years, if the Cardinals do what they should do this offseason and save the text text line, you're on a limited plan. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you, only, you only have like 3,000 minutes in the, in the yeah, month. Yeah. What year is this? And the, and the Cubs go out and sign guys. The Reds have some talent that's coming. Now, the Brewers are going to fall off here because it sounds like they're going to potentially blow this thing up. Pirates, I'm not as sold on their young talent. But I think we're going to get closer to, I think it was 2015, if I remember correctly, where we had the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Pirates, all 100-win teams. I'm not saying they're all going to get to 100-win teams, but I think in the next year to two, for a good stretch here, we're going to see a three-team race in the NL Central because the Cubs are going to be aggressive, as you just said. Cardinals, we expect to be somewhat aggressive this offseason. Well, they got to be prudent. And, yeah, volume. And, <laughs> and the Reds have a lot of young talent, and they've got some decent pitching as well. They've got to add some starters as well. But I think we're about to see the start of a three-team race in the NL Central. Could go for that. Objectively speaking, I really like the notion of Hoskins being next spring's reclamation project Great. for the Cubs. I mean, honestly, in a lot of capacities, could mirror some of that production that you saw from Cody Bellinger. Now, Bellinger, to a larger extent, almost had an MVP caliber season. But Hoskins, he was a linchpin for a number of years in Philadelphia. Harper changing positions. You understand the trajectory of that franchise going forward. They have a lot of athletic outfit fielders there and I think what they saw from them down the stretch August September helped make the decision for them letting Hoskins go but if you're talking about maybe getting into the Hoskins sweepstakes Otani my own mercy Cubs going all out this is why you get your pitching because it sounds like they want a lot of offense I don't know if they're going to get pitching I mean you're getting Shohei who's not pitching next year but that's how you combat their offense by getting elite pitching but the problem is you've got to get elite pitching and you can't just sit there and say hey we got Sonny Gray You're going to have to do more than that if you're going to want to compete in this NL Central. But I do believe what you said. We're starting to see the NL Central heat up a little bit. And if you get that internal competition among everybody, it makes that division a lot more entertaining. The Cardinals are not building to catch the Brewers. They are building to maintain a potential lead or try and get out in front of the Cubs and the Reds because the Brewers are about to sell this blow this thing up they're no longer the team you're trying to build and compete with and you know the pirates are always going to blow this thing up just give them a couple of years always a sinking ship tank once again that is today's major league baseball offseason someone's poisoned the water hole like the wind bullseye blues got it and back to their identity does that tie into craig berube we'll discuss next on 101 espn we're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the narrative with the Blues that talked all last season and really towards the start of the season was do they have an identity? Do the Blues know how they're supposed to play? You know, it was Craig Berube can't coach this talented lineup. He's a he's a physical head coach, and these guys aren't physical players. 
Well, that that dynamic has changed a little bit. Even the athletic, uh, all of the experts uh, walked back their projections of Barubi being on a hot seat coming into this season. But how much of this is tied into having an identity line? Because, T-Bone, we, we've heard Craig Berube talk so much over the years searching for that fourth line of we got to have a line that we can throw out there as an identity that gets the uh, ball rolling with our team, that brings the physical play, that can do the forecheck, that you trust in all situations. They found it. And I know we've talked about the fourth line in the past, um, but now you've got a fourth line that you not only trust in big situations, that third period against Colorado, the third period against the Arizona Coyotes, late in games, you're putting them out there on the ice, but they're producing. You've got seven points from Oscar Sundquist, Sammy Blay, and Jake Neighbors combined in their last six games. They won you that game against the Colorado Avalanche. Well, they didn't win you the game, but they were a key part in it with that penalty kill in that game on Saturday, but also that Arizona Coyotes game. You got the ball rolling because of Jake Neighbors. You're starting to see a line that is adapted to Craig Berube, which is pulling everybody else into the fight. And now I think the identity is starting to show itself for this Blues team. Yeah, I I would agree with that because when you look at the Blues last, I'd say, what, the last two years, they just haven't had a fourth line that they can trust. Every now and then they might get a combination of three forwards that worked out. But for the most part, they had a fourth line and it was like you forgot about them because they didn't play. They would basically sit them for most of the game after the first period. Um so I, I think they have gotten back to it, and I was kind of one of those kind of with BK where it was like, okay, how important is the fourth line really? You know, do, do you really need to make sure you have a group of forwards that you trust in the fourth line that are going to play, what is it, nine, ten minutes a night? Uh, I, I just wasn't certain, necessarily bought into that 11-12, I guess is what the fourth line's at now. Um, but I, I think they've gotten back to the identity line, and I, the fourth line is kind of setting the tone for these games. Bruby's not afraid to start them. He's not afraid to throw them back out there after goals are scored, like we like he did back in the Cup Run year. Uh, you you see Sunquist and you know Blay, Torpchenko, Neighbors, all those guys that have been on the fourth line. Though that line can get outchanced, what do they do? They throw the body around. They're willing to go out there and they're willing to kind of set the tone for the Blues. And it does feel like they are getting back to kind of Craig Berube's identity of what he wants from a team. And I think when you see the fourth line going out there and doing that, it can set the tone for the rest of the guys as well. And that's the one thing, Alex, you never really have that classic ebb and flow from the guys on the fourth line. And for a couple of seasons, though, a couple of years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. Whereas now it's almost a given. You can almost take it for granted insofar as Blay and Sunquist at all. They're just giving that to you night after night after night. And it, it can't help but be infectious. It can't help but rub off on all the principal, quote unquote, talented players as well. He just he set me up for it. What's rub off mean? Right. Come on. Come on, Bradford. You set me up for that one. Uh, so, so to you guys' point, uh, I, I went back and looked at this in kind of the usage of fourth line. And look, you didn't really have a, a, a consistent fourth line in years past. It's been kind of a, a rotating door. But when it's been consistent, we're talking about eight minutes for uh, guys like uh, Tyler Pitlick last year and Alexi Toropchenko. We're talking about like nine and a half minutes for guys like Dakota Joshua when they were here. The time on ice per game. 13 minutes and 30 seconds for Oscar Sundquist. Um, 12 minutes and 6 seconds for um, for for uh, Alexei Toropchenko, who's been up and down with that one. 12 minutes and 22 seconds for Sammy Blay. And let me pull up what Jake Neighbors' number's at right now. And this is tough because, obviously, some of these guys have played third-line minutes for you. Uh, Jake Neighbors is sitting at 11.57. 
you're at a point now where you're using these guys nearly 12 minutes a night. Now, some of this is penalty kill. Some of this is line rotation. But the reason people were skeptical of Craig Berube was, can you get this team to adapt to how he wants to play? And this has always been the misconception of what Craig Berube wants. People think that Craig Berube wants you to go out there and start fights and lay, lay, lay physical play and throw the hits around. Look, they've been doing that. But what Craig Berube is all about is forecheck and puck possession. And this line at least in the stretch of five games, New Jersey, Montreal, Arizona, now Colorado, they've started that trend. Three of these five games, he's started that fourth line on the opening faceoff. What does that tell you that you've got a line that Craig Berube looks at and say, we can put them out there at any point? And that's that's a that's a necessity, I believe, for certain teams in the National Hockey League to win. Oh, I, I 100% agree with you there. And, and I, I think when you look at this team, and, the, and you just asked the question, you know, what does it tell you that he's starting this line out? It means he believes that those guys can set the tone for a hockey game. And, and that's important. Right off the bat, you want that fourth line getting in there and having puck possession. And, and I think you're starting to see that kind of, and I'm not saying the fourth line alone is doing this, but I think you're starting to see the message starting to get through to this Blues team from Craig Berube to where they're getting into the offensive zone. They're possessing the puck a little bit uh, more. We mentioned it, I think it was on the 11 o'clock hour today. You know, the Corsi percentage, and take what you will from the Corsi percentage, but the Corsi percentage basically tells you how much time have you had the puck in the offensive zone. And the Blues numbers, it is starting to tick up a little bit, especially in the last five games. So you're really starting to see this team buy into Craig Berube's kind of mindset, not just the fourth line, because the fourth line had that early on in the year, but the top line, Robert Thomas, Buchnevich, uh, and Kapanen, those guys are starting to possess the puck a little bit more offensively. You're seeing it from the second line. Kairou's even getting in on it, helping keeping pucks alive in the offensive zone more. So I, I think you're seeing this team kind of Last year, I don't think they ever molded into. I don't think they ever molded into an identity. To be honest with you, I don't think they no, ever they had did. one. This year, I think you're starting to see them mold into what Craig Berube's vision was for this team going into the year. How yep. much is this? How much of this is Oscar Sundquist? I mean, I would say a little bit. I don't know if I would say like he gets seventy five percent of this pie. You know, just I'd, I'd give him ninety percent of this pie. Really so can, much though. I just I wouldn't give that much to a fourth line center. That's not to take away anything from Oscar Sundquist because he's been awesome for this team. But could this fourth line center be doing it with Nikita Alexandrov? No, but I mean, again, as much as the fourth line's been good, it's. 10 minutes on ice. Like, it's not the top line. But, but with Alexandrov, I think they're playing eight minutes of night. How many fourth-line centers around the NHL are getting the time of a Sunquist? Even in that ill def- ill-fated Winnipeg loss, guys, who was out there at the very beginning, Sunquist and company. So now you can rely on this group spearheaded by Oscar Sunquist, not only for the volume in terms of minutes, but the quality. Too. I, I'm the prototypical guy that says, oh, well, this guy's an identity guy and it's making the team successful. And, and look, I, I understand that people push back because what's making the team successful is Bennington, is the defense, is guys like Kyrou and Thomas. But if you don't have Oscar Sundquist, in my opinion, you don't have a, a fourth line to be using in big moments, which means you're you're cycling two lines when things aren't going well, and that wears those guys down, and they might not be clicking through. So all I'm saying is a guy like Oscar Sundquist, it's wild how an identity finally shows up for a Blues team when you were searching for it for three consecutive years. Does that mean they re-sign him at the end of the season? Who knows? Because that's a Doug Armstrong decision over a Craig Berube decision, but it's... It's fascinating, and it's not a coincidence that this Blues team finally found it when they brought back a Craig Berube guy like Oscar Sundquist. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll come back with a rewind next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Today, alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns. If you missed anything from our show, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Always presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We even got Bradford to put a cowboy hat on. So, yeah, you, you did. You know it was a good show today. Felt right. So, if you didn't get to see any of it, you could check it up, check it out on our YouTube channel at 101ESPN STL. Our studio cams presented by Air Alliance Team. A lot of blues talk, some Cardinals talk, uh, a little Cowboys segment. And of course, uh, we talked to the Missouri Tigers and the guys will rewind it there. Um, talking about a Tigers massive victory against Tennessee, uh, you moved to 11th in the country in the AP uh, rankings and might not have solidified a New Year's six bowl game, but you've put yourself in a position now. You can't lay eggs against Arkansas and Florida. You have to close out the season with respect. But you've put yourself in a position to be, at minimum, a top 10 team in the country by the end of the season, which does force you into a conversation of getting one of those massive bowl games at the end of the season. Yeah, and and they're just on the outside looking in, and I think that's probably going to be the case when the college football playoff rankings come out, I believe, tomorrow night. Um, that, That wouldn't surprise me. But they'll need just a little bit of help along the way, and we talked about it. You know, you got Louisville that's ninth right now, Oregon State who is tenth, Louisville ends the year with Miami and Kentucky. They could easily lose one of those games. Oh yeah, uh, Oregon State they will lose their final two against Washington oh, yeah. and Oregon. So zero uh, chance. You just need a little bit of help, and then it becomes interesting of you know what would happen if Alabama gets to the conference championship game, and if they lose to Georgia, then there's another debate up there. So I think they're definitely pushing for a New Year's Six bowl game. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But like you said. Alex, they got to take care of business against Florida, and they got to take care of business against Arkansas. They should be able to not just beat those teams; they should blow those teams out. And more than anything else, you established, you cemented your reputation and your identity on Saturday afternoon yep. in Columbia. I mean, before this season started, guys, everybody and rightfully so was raving about the prospects of Luther Burden. What could this offense do with a lot of returning starters? But the calling card was supposed to be the defense. Well, over the last three games. That defense has finally been able to prove its bona fides, dominant play. And when you can put up that type of performance against Tennessee, the signature victory of your campaign, and you can do so despite not having your defensive captain, in a manner of speaking, in Ty Hopper for the bulk of that game, forcing turnovers, turning Joe Milton, quite honestly, into somebody who looked really one-dimensional. He wasn't able to get outside of the pocket. You stuffed the run game. And then on the opposite end as well, offensively, you have in my mind, your identity for the final three games in your campaign. Sure, you can work it outside. You can work it underneath to Luther Burden, Theo Weiss, Mookie Cooper, etc. But your horse right now is Cody Schrader, and that horse is going to lead you into a truly legitimate bowl game. One more quick thought. Has anybody put themselves in the Heisman conversation following these last few games for the Tigers? Uh, I would say probably not. 
Um, though Schrader's been good, I, he may gain a little bit of Heisman talk, but I don't know if he's got the like. Not to the point where you're out seeding like a yeah, Jaden Daniels have, or. Yeah, he doesn't have multiple huge games yeah. against top 25 teams. Like, it was great, don't get me wrong, against Tennessee, not trying to take anything away from him because that was a hell of a performance from Cody Schrader. But you almost need to do that kind of game against Georgia, Kansas State when you beat them, Kentucky yeah. when they were ranked. you got to do it multiple times against top 25 teams. They just haven't had one guy do that yet. And that's still when Schrader was sharing carries, sharing the yeah. workload with Nate Pete. Hey, over the weekend, Coach Drinkwitz told the assembled reporters there at Memorial Stadium, yeah, 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 absolutely, Schrader should be in the conversation. But we know what sells pizzazz sells when it comes to the Heisman conversation. Somebody like a Luther Burden electrifying playmakers, that's what will ultimately and, get you to the ceremony. Yeah, and real quick, it was just announced two hours ago by Mizzou Football, or by all the awards, Maxwell Award semifinalist Luther Burden is in that, and that is handed out to uh, to the most outstanding player in college football. Wow. It's not the Heisman. I think it's kind of like the second coming of the Heisman. Yeah. But he is a semifinalist for that award. It was announced earlier today. Awesome to hear. They'll be back at it on Saturday. Tanner Hendrickson and I will be back with you tomorrow. BK will be back. Great job by Bradford. Bruns is always filling in for us. For T-Bone, for Bradford, I'm Alex Ferrario. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Fast lane coming up next on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.